Tuesday, April the 13th. Before we get into anything here on the, on That's What G Said, to talk about a little bit of what happened in, uh, in Minnesota, the Minnesota Twins, Timberwolves, and Wild have all postponed their games on Monday following the police shooting of Dante Wright on Sunday night. A 20-year-old black man, uh, he died Sunday after a police officer shot him in the Minnesota suburb of Brooklyn Center during a traffic stop. Um, just reading the information directly off of SPN report. Uh, the police chief said the shooting was accidental. The officer involved uh, intent to fire a stun gun and not a handgun during a struggle with Wright. And they were trying to arrest him on an outstanding warrant. So out of respect for the events that happened in uh, Brooklyn Center, the Minnesota sports teams have canceled their games. This uh, Wright died of a gunshot wound at the chest. His death was ruled as a homicide, according to the county medical examiner's office. And things were already... Very tense in Minnesota, uh, in Minneapolis, as there uh, was the trial going on uh, involving George Floyd and his death. Um, that is right down the area, um, downtown from where a lot of the uh, the sports teams play. So uh, we talk a lot about sports here on the show, but um, we try to talk about anything uh, that that's going on. And I thought this had to be mentioned, and uh, obviously. Uh, incidents like this continue to happen change is needed Uh, I'm just going to continue to listen and see how I can do better and so it's never easy to transition from a topic like that into what we do here which is a lot of uh, sports and TV shows, movies, recap pop culture stuff, having fun Uh, but I'm going to try to do what I do um, and uh, continue to inform you and entertain you and we'll do the best getting through this episode of That's What G Said podcast as we will talk some uh, Major League Baseball. We're going to talk uh, about the Stable Duel Contest for the week. We'll get into some horse racing for Wednesday and Thursday for you. We've got Keeneland for Wednesday, Penn National for Wednesday, Keeneland and Oaklawn for Thursday. Best bets for each one of them. Episode 4 of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier with Tim Kelly. We're going to recap and review that one. We have a really long, uh, in-depth discussion on everything going on in Episode 4. And then we close it out with uh, recaps and reviews of what happened this week, uh, this past week in WrestleMania. Going to talk about Night 1 WrestleMania, Night 2 of WrestleMania, and then uh, Monday Night Raw, which was pretty disappointing after uh, a couple solid WrestleMania nights. We will also talk more about that later in the week with Chad Cooper, uh, as we, we do later in the rest. Uh, with Chad Cooper segment. So let's uh, get into a, a, a bit of news first. Uh, congratulations to Hideki Matsuyama, the Masters winner, 29 years old, the first male golfer from Japan to win a major championship. Uh, so big shot to him. He was up by six shots in the back nine. Uh, he had a four-shot lead, and at one point, uh, lead was down to two shots with three to play, but Xander Shafley couldn't really capitalize on the opportunity that he had something that's been a little bit of a a you know consistent talking point in Shafley's career usually in contention but can't really seal the deal there either so uh, Matsuyama finished 10 under and you could have made a wager on him somewhere between 40 to 1 and 60 to 1 depending on where you were playing so uh, after a year where there wasn't you know a lot of travel, tournaments were canceled, everything going on with COVID. Uh, he was able to get a, a massive victory here. So uh, big congratulations to Hideki Matsuyama, 
who wins the Masters and becoming uh, the first Japanese man to win a major. We're going to get into baseball, talk a little bit about uh, some baseball news and what's been happening over the last week or so in baseball. Joe Musgrove throws the first no-hitter in San Diego Padres history over the weekend. 3-0 victory over the Texas Rangers. The Padres had played 8,206 regular season games and never had a no-hitter. So he retired the first he only all he it was only only reason it wasn't a perfect game was because he uh he hit a batter early in the game. He retired the first eleven hitters, then he hit Joey Gallo, retired the next sixteen. He had hundred and three pitches when he started the ninth, but it only took him nine pitches to get through that ninth inning. So he got through uh, hundred and twelve pitches, career high one twelve uh, Joey Musgrove really helps that strong San Diego Padres pitching staff. You Darvish, Blake Snell, and the Padres are up to 8-3 and three to start. They're going to be battling with the Dodgers in the West all season long. Congrats there. J.D. Martinez. He is just crushing the ball right now. The Red Sox have won six in a row. They started 0-3. They were outscored I think 15 to 6 to Boston or to uh they were outscored 18 to 5 by the Orioles in their first 3 games and since then they've won 6 games in a row. Last year JD Martinez hit 213. He hit, he was he ranked 129 out of 142 qualified hitters in weighted on base uh, average. He had more strikeouts than hits. He was just bad. But it was only a short season. On Sunday he hit 3 home runs. They won 14-9. He, uh, in, he's played in eight games. He's got an extra base hit, base hit in all eight games so far. Seven doubles, five home runs. And the three home runs he hits, too. This was uh, in a David Schoenfield article on ESPN. Three home runs he hit on Sunday came against three different pitchers on three different pitches. He hit one in the third off a knuckle curve. He hit one in the sixth off a curve. And then he hit one in the eighth off a changeup. So he's actually only the fifth player ever to hit three home runs in a game for three different teams. He's done it for the Tigers, the Diamondbacks, and the Red Sox now. It's a pretty cool feat. Along with Mark Teixeira, Alex Rodriguez, Dave Kingman, Johnny Mize. And he's also eight straight games with an extra base hit to start a season. That ties the Major League record held by uh, A-Rod and Sandy Alomar. So, pretty damn impressive start for J.D. Martinez. And the Red Sox now winning six in a row. He's hitting 472. He's got five home runs and 16 RBIs. He's got a 500 uh, on base percentage. And the Red Sox as a team are third in batting average and second in runs and hits. So, uh, as expected, middle of the line pitching staff, really good offense. That's that's the template for them to be a good baseball team. And right now, uh, the last week, they've been a good baseball team. A team that has not been a good baseball team is the Cubs, and some bad news for them. They actually had to place three relievers on the COVID-related injured list after Chris Young, bullpen coach, tested positive for the uh, the virus. So Jason Adam, Brandon Workman, and Dan Winkler will not be uh, with the, the Cubs for the next few games. So they uh, recalled a couple from their alternate site, Justin Steele, Brad Week, Pedro, Stop, uh, Pedro Strope, and... A Cubs team that is now four and six. They're hitting 167 as a team. They've scored 29 runs in 10 games. I, I don't even know how they're four and six. They 
are just brutal right now. A team that had been playing poorly, but they were very happy to get back. Kyle Schwarber, Josh Bell, Josh Harrison. Because on Monday night, they got Schwarber 2 for 5 with an RBI. Bell was 1 for 3 with 2 walks and 2 runs. And Harrison was 1 for 4. They had all missed the start of the season. And they are now back. And they really helped them get a a massive needed victory on Monday night. They were... um, uh, missing, you know, this team because of the the their outbreak that they had. It sidelined nine players and it caused them to postpone four games. They are now up to two and five. So uh, this is a team that will look a little bit better now with uh, at least some options in their full complement of players. Even though they don't have their full complement of players, they uh, have played pretty well lately. The Angels are 7-3, and three, even uh, though Anthony Rendon got hurt on Saturday in a big loss, and he is going to go on the 10-day DL, so he'll be missing some time. But the Angels, up to 7-3, and three, but just a plus-two run differential because they've given up 12 and 15 runs, and they lost one of their games 15-1. to one. Let's get to some other uh, news in baseball. Dodgers playing really well, even without Betts and Bellinger, who did not play over the weekend in a weekend series against the Washington against the uh, the Nats. The Dodgers actually are up to eight and two right now, and they're just getting production all throughout the lineup. The Reds they are leading the league in. Batting average runs tied in home runs. They're up to seven and three now. Some of these stats might be tad off because they might have been coming into Monday that I'm I'm reading. So some of the games that were played Monday might not include all the stats, but the win loss records and stuff like that are all accurate and they're they're all pretty close. Um, so uh, mention the Red Sox and how hot they are with their six game win streak. The Indians had won four in a row, then they lost on Monday night. So they're four. Uh, they're five and four right now. Uh, Fran Mil Reyes and uh, Jose Ramirez have been hitting the ball really well for them, and they are uh, one of the top teams in the league. They had a 2.83 ERA, I believe, heading into Monday, which would have had them third. The Giants ended up winning four in a row. Then they lost on Monday, so they're six and four. Uh, they were actually tied for third with 14 home runs, and they were second in the league with a 2.7 ERA. So, uh, getting some big, timely hitting and good pitching. That was the reason why the Giants have had a good week and they've, you know, been able to stay a, a little above 500 now. The Oakland A's were really bad early on. They've uh, won three in a row now. They're up to four and seven. But something that you wouldn't have expected for Oakland, they were dead last in ERA with a 6.2 ERA coming into Monday, I believe, before they won their Monday night game. The Astros lost three straight now. Uh, makes uh, many people happy. They're, they're at 6-4. and four. And the Brewers have won three straight. They are up to 6-4. and four. We will continue to check in with uh, baseball every week, see what's going on. We'll start bringing on some guests, some interviews. We'll, we'll uh, go through certain divisions and deep dives and stuff like that. Because in the overall sports schedule now, things will start to quiet down a little bit. They'll ramp back up uh, in May. With the Kentucky Derby Uh, But between now and then All the Derby preps are done We've really got baseball and basketball 
as uh, topics that we'll be discussing here for a while now. So we'll have sort of a pretty steady schedule uh, with those two with wrestling stuff, old recaps, uh, any of the new Star Wars Marvel shows going on. So baseball will be a common denominator here on That's What She Said for quite some time. And I know someone who is a big baseball fan. He's a big Dodger fan. It's our good buddy Tyler Herringer from uh, Sarah Candle Company. And their website is sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com. The goal of their company was to create a candle 100% natural and clean burning high quality that everyone can enjoy couple reasons why Sarah candles are the best and they are different than a lot of the other leading candle brands that you'll see number one all natural soy wax free from the toxins that's found in the paraffin wax which is used by a lot of those other leading brands the all natural soy wax will actually hold your scent better and burned up to 50% longer than that paraffin wax 100% 100% lead-free, cotton wicks, completely natural scents, made in micro-batches, hand-poured to ensure the highest quality, 100% locally sourced, handcrafted in the USA, 25 different scents available, 3 different sizes, fragrance oils that are infused with natural essential oils, we're talking quality packaging, top ingredients, affordable pricing, longer burning candles, no toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants that are present in those paraffin wax candles. They even give you instructions and details on how to keep your candle clean. You want to make sure that you're always using the uh, the top to put the candle out and you want to trim the wick so that way it'll burn smoothly for you. And when you use that promo code G-I-N-O, it will get you 10% off your purchase. This is a perfect gift for someone created by people who love candles. You know, they started out experimenting, just trying to create that perfect candle and it has blossomed into Sarah Candle Company. Promo code G-I-N-O gets you 10% off your purchase. We head to horse racing and we've got to talk about Stable Duel and another big Keeneland week coming up. Let's go through the week schedule. Brian uh, Howard Beho is going to be joining me on the next episode of That's What She Said so we can really get into some of the specifics that Stable Duel has going on right now. But on Tuesday, some of you might be listening to this Tuesday, they've got Parks Games and a game at Mahoning Valley. And if you play the Parks $12 game, the winner actually will get a free entry into the Elkhorn Throwdown game at Keeneland over the weekend. You'll also win your your part of the $500 in prizes. And if you play in the Mahoning Valley contest, the winner of that gets free entry into the Double Dog Dare Duel later in the week contest at Keeneland. So they're starting to do this a lot more in the contest uh, in Stable Duel now. You know, these daily racing contests that you can play. You play for... You know, some days free, as little as a dollar to five bucks in contests, all the way up to a hundred, five hundred, a thousand dollars if you want to play in the bigger contest. Now they're giving you the chance to win money as well as qualify and earn a free spot into some of the bigger contests. So those are your Tuesday options. On Wednesday, you've got Keeneland. They've got a ten dollar game. It's a thousand dollar pool. And if you play in all three of the the $10 Keeneland games on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, if you finish in the top 25 each one, you're going to get a free entry into the Saturday Elkhorn Throwdown game. So, again, 
You know, you play in the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, $10 games. You get in the top 25 in all of them. You're going to win the prizes for whatever position you finish in. And then you're also going to be able to get that free entry into the uh, the Elkhorn Throwdown game. You can also play a $50 game at Keeneland on Wednesday, $100 triple up. They've got a free game at Mahoning. Parks has a $2 game. And the Penn National $3 uh, degenerate special with BTV. We'll talk about that a little bit too. We'll give you some uh, some help with the Penn National Game and we'll also talk about Keeneland for Wednesday. On Thursday, they've got the Keeneland with Lexington Legends special. What is this? Keeneland is now partnered with a minor league baseball team, the Lexington Legends, for their 2021 season. They're going to be uh, having on track presence and uh, crossover in the stable dual app. Players will be able to uh, enjoy both love of baseball and racing with uh, this cool crossover promotion here and if you play in this Thursday contest you'll also be able to win two tickets to a Lexington Legend game coming up throughout the 2021 season Stable Duel has an area now at Legend Stadium where the fans can go relax, hang out, watch uh, the game, watch some racing, play some Stable Duel. So find out more information about Lexington Legends and the Stable Duel partnership, and we'll talk all about that with Beho later on this week. Then uh, you, you got other Keeneland games. There's a $75 game on Thursday with a $3,000 pool. There's a $250 double up. Gulfstream has two options for you on Thursday. Then on Keeneland Friday, you've got the $40 double dog dare duel. It's a $4,000 prize pool, 40 bucks to enter. The top three get free entry into the Elkhorn Throwdown on Saturday. There's also that Friday $10 game that's a $1,000 prize pool. There's a Feeder Friday Top 3. Remember about the Feeder Fridays from Keeneland where you uh, you get the opportunity to qualify for the on-track live wagering contest at Keeneland later in the year? So there's still two more chances on these Fridays. They're $250 contest. They have $2,000 in prizes. And if you win, you're going to get entry into that live on-track contest contest later in the year in October. Gulfstream and Golden Gate contest on Friday. How about Saturday? You've got the Keeneland Elkhorn Throwdown. It's a $10,000 contest. It's 100 bucks to enter, $10,000 in prizes. There's also the Mirror Twin $10 contest. If you want to, you know, maybe play a little smaller, but that's also got a $2,000 prize pool. There's a triple up game for 500 bucks at Gulfstream. There's a a game for seven bucks. There's a Santa Anita top three. There's a Santa Anita $12 game. And then on Sunday, you've got one, two, three, four different Keeneland options from $5 to 25 to a hundred to 250 entry fees. You have two different uh, options at Gulfstream and then a couple more at Santa Anita when it takes me minutes just to get through the reading of the weekly schedule you know that it is another packed week and again those feeder Fridays the winner on that entry uh, of that $250 contest gets the free entry into the $400 fall challenge during the October meet at Keeneland you still have two more chances on Friday April 16th and Friday April 23rd to win and qualify for one of those so let's get into some of the uh the Wednesday action will help you out with some of the Keeneland Wednesday and some one of the contests you can play in for Keeneland on Wednesday get those past performances out so we're looking at a uh, Keeneland Wednesday April the 14th 
and we're going to go to race number one. Uh, if you're playing early pick five, throw the three time for Glory in. She's going to get back to the dirt, and she's going to go long. Her, her race going long on the dirt against Maidens back in November at Churchill wasn't bad when she finished fourth, um, and, and then she... Broke her maiden when she kind of easily got the lead at fairgrounds on December the 17th, uh, going seven and a half on the turf. She came back off of a couple-month break. She had a wide trip. She just really never had a shot there. And now she's going to go second start off the bench. She's got a little more positional speed than she showed last time out. There really isn't that much pace in here. So I don't I don't know if she's going to be on the lead, but I wouldn't be shocked if she's sitting like second or pretty close in a, a paceless kind of race here. Throw her in to some of your early exotics. If she's like four to one, uh, she's four to one morning line. If she's seven to two, that was the uh, sort of my value line there. So uh, maybe one to uh, include in in some early exotics. In the third race, feels like the our alibi is going to send hard from the inside. Um, Move Mars will probably get the lead in here, and and he might be. Huff, but the six Pikachu is just in really nice form, very consistent, proven at Keeneland. He just runs well over every single surface, loves to win races, extremely honest and kind of in, in nice form right now, coming in off some strong races uh, over at Turfway. Give me the six Pikachu and a lot of exotics here. If this guy's anything around a three to one, we'll make a win wager on Pikachu. Pokemon fans here going crazy here uh, as Pikachu is seven to two on the morning line. The fourth race will actually start your pick five. So if you're playing the pick five, I, I'd probably use the six and the eight, Happy Soul, the Wesley Ward Furster, the eight, San Constantino. Um, it looks to have uh, uh, some speed here. This this one's dam was a multiple winner, uh, earned 130000 in the first full, and uh, was the dam was a little bit more going long. Um, violence we know of as a precocious um, young horse too. So I think, San Constantino, very intriguing here. We'll use the 8 and the 6 in all exotic 6-8 to start that late pick 5 um, in race number 5. 3, 4, and 5 for me. I hear you, who was last to start, about 7 lengths off, moved inside, and right as she was starting her, her run, she kind of kept to the inside, and she just didn't have any room she could end up a lot, lot closer in here. Her race was pretty sneaky last time out. She's proven at Keeneland. She's going to put a couple starts together after her last few races have um, sent her to the bench. So could be a little sharper today. I think they get aggressive with her. Looking up and down this field, like who's going to the lead? Sunset Kiss, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if she runs well, but she's probably not going to be on the lead. Uh, Elk uh, Jaggerette's not going to be on the lead. Talking Book isn't quick really at all. Um, you know, maybe Lenny Kate, it, it kind of by default, ends up forwardly placed. So I think, you know, she's a must-use. I'm going to use three, four, and five everywhere. Uh, Tossamu probably doesn't get the lead. Maybe take charge row. But look at the races, how slow they were when she was sitting close. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, her as being like right on like sprint races at all stand tall same sort of thing was only close up in races that were really really slow uh i just you know teeter's kitten do you see speed coming from that one or lake lucerne Dallymore star probably another instance where this one she may just sort of fall into an okay spot and maybe be like a rabbit in here for atfield to try to set this up for sunset kiss so maybe you want to upgrade sunset kiss a little bit more i would have him three four five one eleven ten but i'll probably use three four five and and, and maybe the one um in in the pick five there 
in race number six. This is the start of the late pick three, maiden $50,000 claimers. They're going to go a mile and 16th on the main. Uh, the sixth legendary gift to me is by far the most interesting horse, and a horse who I think you want to use in your late exotic. So she debuts against Maiden Special Eights, and the race has come back really live. The horse who won that race, Slumber Party, was very, very fast and has come back and finished second in the Beaumont since winning that. The horse who was second that day passed the Champagne, went at, came back out of that race to win a Maiden Special Eight, and then finished second just beaten in the Grade 1 Ashland. Tough beat if you, if you had passed the Champagne that day. And Legendary Gift was a step slow and then was right up with the leaders. Was second pressing, was a length off, and just couldn't get to the wire-to-wire winner. Just got a little bit outrun by that one sort of run off her feet late. Backed up. But she does have some good speed. She's going to drop. She looks like the one to catch. She's going to have to stretch out and go from seven furlongs to a mile and 16th. But I think she should be loose on the lead and will probably take this field as far as she can go. I imagine maybe Joelle wants to, to to try different tactics, but I mean she she showed that speed naturally, and uh, I think she's one of the most talented in here. So she's a must use for me all over. the The five deemed essential shouldn't be too far out of it. The four runaway mom, whose last start was on the grass, it was not bad at all after a slowish start. Really got into it late. She's proven with some fine races on the dirt and. Those races where she's sort of just kind of, she's passed horses late, she ran into some pretty tough company early on, and is another one who, you know, she's four, she's only run six times, and she has had like race interruption, race interruption, now she's going to put a couple starts together, Runaway Mom, I'll be using in late exotics. We get to race number seven there at Keeneland, this is a uh, third level allowance, mile and 16th, on the turf course, I'm going to try to beat Stunning Sky in here who does come running late and she will always pick pieces up. I'll try to beat her on the win end if you're playing Exactus Tri Super. She'll come running and probably be in that mix. The six horse is who I will start with in here, Winter Sunset. So she didn't race from October of 2019 to October of 2020. Came back, kind of ran poorly that day and then she went to the bench for from October to March, which you'd never like to see. But now she's come back, and that race in March was was not bad at all. She got crushed at the start on both sides, and then she had to settle towards the rear. Normally, she shows a lot more tactical speed than that. So she's about 10 lengths off. She's blocked. She's behind horses. She stays to the inside. She gets some room up in the contention. She weaves through. It was not bad at all. And she's got a lot more tactical, positional type speed. Giraud has shown that on her two starts back. Don't be shocked to see her sitting a lot closer in here and just a lot fitter with that race under her belt. Winter Sunset, I'm using all over the place. The other ones in here to me um, are sort of the logical ones like uh, Temple City Terror, who also got hit hard at the start in that same race with Winter Sunset. And if you just play her off of her races prior to that, they were pretty solid. The Four Joy Epiphora, you, while you have a lot of question marks about many in here, she's just kind of consistent. And if she just shows up with the same race she's been running, She's sort of like a measuring stick for this race where you feel like someone will probably jump up and run better than her, but if they don't, she'll be right there. I've got 6-7-4 in race number 7 at Keeneland. Uh, In the 8th and final, we're going to be using the 8 
to begin. Uh, Petit Verdot, who is a first-time gelding, getting Lasix for the first time. Look at who he faced early on in his career. You know, Cowan, you got Jackie's Warrior, Fauci, Out of Door, Bodenheimer even. In some of his poor performances, he just faced pretty nice horses. Now he shows up in a much softer spot. Joel takes the call um, for a barn who's already had a couple nice uh, runners at the meet. So I think uh, the eight is one that you have to use just for the upside uh, with him in a spot like this. He might just be better than this group. Verified seems like his two back race. You know, he did have some legitimate trouble when he was your beaten favorite at fairgrounds. And then last time out, he ran pretty well when finishing second on the grass, going five and a half furlongs. This is a good spot for Verified. The nine hats off to you would be the the horse that I used just because the there are versions of this race where it really does fall apart. Hats off to you is a horse who should come running late and at least <clears throat> be passing horses in here when a lot of horses may not be doing that. So um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the overall look at Keeneland for Wednesday in the opener. Don't forget about that three time for glory. If you can get around seven to two or so in the third Pikachu, if you can get around three to one or so on that one. And then the pick five that starts in race number four. I'll uh I'll play a pick five ticket that'll look something along the lines of six eight to begin in, in race number four. Um then in race number five you know, three, four, five. If you want to use the one, also uh, with four, five, six in race six, with four, six, seven in race seven, and with three, eight, nine to close it out in race number eight. Good luck on Wednesday over at Keeneland as we head from Keeneland Wednesday over to Penn National Wednesday. I have uh. What, like five races I'll give you a, a look at Horses that you can use in your Wednesday night BTV D-Gen special Remember, it is only three bucks To enter this contest on Wednesday night So once you get home from work Or uh, maybe you're working at night You you handicap the Penn National card put a, put a lineup or two in And then you kick back and enjoy I'm going to start in race number two With the one Patty's Boy You 6-1 to one on the morning line and he's now going to go third start off the layoff. Before that, he had a big layoff earlier in 2020. So I think this is going to be really a good spot for him. He's going to have a little more foundation. He's going to be able to save some ground from the inside. If you're just playing this field based off of like numbers and figures, he does really stack up well, even though his recent performances don't look all that great on paper. They were against better. He's very capable of uh, of being competitive against a group like this. The number one, Patty's Boy, who is 6-1 to one morning line. You will cost you 5000 in your stable dual lineup. I'd, I'd want about 9-2 to two to bet this horse to win. In race number three at Penn National, I like this one a bit. Uh, the number three success hurricane. He was only five to two last time out in a similar spot. I'm not going to be shocked if he gets bet down in half and to be like four to one at least, something like that. He hopped a bit at the start. He moved in between horses up to fifth. He was traveling really well, but he got caught in between horses. He had to pull up. Success hurricane. Expect a big effort from him and uh, at. 8-1 to one morning line, he'll only cost you $3,000 to use in your stable dual lineups. Let's move to race number 5. And I'm looking at the 6 horse in here. 
that is all tacked up, who's drawn really well. I think you can toss the effort in the slop last time out. If you're just playing him off the two and three back effort, he does really stack up well. Got a little bit of speed. Type of horse who should be able to fall into a nice trip from the outside. Number six, all tacked up. It's six to one morning line. It'll only cost you 5000 to use in your stable dual lineup. I probably won about five to one or so if I was going to bet him to win. In race number seven, the three Eagles cry. It's just really consistent. Uh, beat an X-Dot winner last time out. Finally put it all together. Had been knocking on the door for a while. And when horses like this, who had been running well for a while, and what I like about him too is he hadn't been beaten as a favorite like over and over and over and over again. There were some spots where he was just, you know, facing horses that were a little bit better. He's shown some improvement. And Eagles cry looks like a, a logical contender in here at 4-1. to one. That'll cost you 7000 in your stable dual lineup to use. And in race number 9, this one won't cost you all that much at the 12 to 1 morning line, so not even a thousand bucks to use in your stable dual lineups. I'm talking about the four LaGrosse Bill who, you know, you're playing a barn who's having a, a really, really nice meeting. This is a horse who's proven at Penn and is just really consistent. Uh, wasn't all that far behind 8 Misbehaven, who's going to be a much shorter price. You, you've got a very live jock jumping aboard for a very live barn, a horse who's proven at the trip, proven at Penn, and can sit off the pace and pick some pieces up. The number four, Le Gros Bill. So there are five that I, uh, I'm going to be using in my stable dual lineups in race two. The number one, Patty's Boy. And uh, five, it'll cost me $5,000 to use in that six to one morning line. If I can get you know, four to one or so, I'll bet Patty's Boy. Success Hurricane, anything over seven to two really makes sense to me because you know, that one is eight to one on the morning line and only cost you 3000 in stable duel. In the fifth, it's the six all tacked up, six to one morning line. Uh, so that's only 5000 in stable duel. And I would probably want about five to one or so to make the win wager on him. Eagles cry in the seventh race, the number three, four to one on the morning line. So 7000 in stable duel. And as far as making a wager on this one, you know, anything over about three to one would be fair. LaGrosse Bill, probably six to one. Uh, on him, and we had as our value line. He's uh, at, on a twelve to one morning line, and would only cost you seven fifty in your stable dual lineup in that ninth race to include. So, best of luck in the Wednesday Penn National contest. Get involved. It's only three dollars. It's a really great like jumping in point at uh, for stable dual. If you're looking for a, a track that you know uh, you can handicap and maybe get involved in a contest that won't cost you a whole bunch, and and see if you like it, try some things out. Check out these Wednesday night contests over at Penn National for the BTV D-Gen special. Before we get into Thursday action, we're going to talk about DRF, DRF DRF.com, where I get all of my past performances, all of the information that I need. I'm a big fan of the formulator past performances, and we'll give you some info about how now it is formatted so nicely for your phone. You can pull everything up on your phone, handicap on the go. Let's hear more about DRF. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years. Studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. 
past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current day's odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com on to thursday for keeneland so we're looking at april the 15th get the past performances out and we're on to race number two uh I'm going to the four, ready to answer as sort of an early exotic single here. This guy's getting back to Giroux. He has more speed than he showed in his last two starts. He's going to be making his third start of the form cycle. He just he wasn't really quick or sort of persevered with early on, and he got squeezed out of a spot. He closed really well late with a ton of energy. I'm expecting him to show more speed because he broke his maiden with Giroux aboard, and he did show speed that day. He's got to be a little closer in this spot. The number four, ready to answer, will use as an early exotic single there on Thursday in race number two. Let's move to race number five, and this is a... In, you know, involving some of the uh, the middle exotics there in the start of your late pick five. So I think a horse you need to use in the late pick five is the eight perfect Spidey, who's going to go second start off of a short break in his last start in a grade three. He finished fourth. He kind of settled inside. He was third, fourth. He was a couple lengths off chasing a lone speed wire to wire winner. Two starts back, he was behind Phantom Currency, who won a grade two next time out. Three starts back, he was behind Social Paranoia, who's a multiple graded stakes winner, and an Olympic runner who is multiple graded stakes placed. This is just class relief for a horse who has nice tactical speed. He's kind of versatile. He's shown the ability to win like right on the pace, or he can sit off a little bit. He can close and pass some horses from towards the middle to the back of the pack if he has to. Pretty honest guy. I think this is just going to be a much, much better spot for perfect Spidey. Make sure to use in all of your late exotics there. Let's flip to race number seven. So however you're playing this race in some of the late exotics, the horses who I'm looking at to include and, and 
depending on how you're playing, how you want to include them. I have six, one, three, and five. The six, another miracle, I think, uh, has the opportunity to run better uh, in here. His turf form is pretty sneaky. There are a couple races where you see he's behind Guildsman, but he kind of has some excuses in those races. And he's got some running, you know, layoff lines where you can probably build some more excuses in for him. He was third at Turfway last time out. He sat nicely third. He was within a couple lengths, and he ended up finishing third that day. Sort of got bumped around a little bit uh, late in the stretch. But the horse who won, Visitant, came back to win the Kentucky Cup Classic. So that was a very live race for him. And the Turfway horses, as our buddy Darren Zocali projected and predicted, because this meet is stronger than some of the other ones, people sort of look at Turfway horses and dismiss them. Well, what I like about him is he's got proven grass form, and these Turfway races are stronger than we think they were. Six, the one Edgemont Road, he he's really quick. And if you look at some of the races he's coming out of, right, he, he's been behind Zendin and defeating Zendin recently, who went on to Dubai and crushed over there. He's been locking up with Sleepy Eyes Todd, who had a really nice 2020. True Timber, that race came back so live. That Lafayette, both of those horses came out of there to win great stakes races. So you can't really knock Edgemont Road for uh, what he's done lately. It's just turf with him. He showed no speed in his lone turf start. The three Maven is a first time gelding. He does have some speed. So I think he is a must use because if for some reason Edgemont Road doesn't break and just doesn't like, get over the grass at all, Maven could be pretty tough to run down. And then you've got Bad Beat Brian, who's just in excellent form. He's rattled off three in a row. Mike Maker seems to have really have gotten him figured out. So I stack them six one three five in race number seven over at Keeneland. Uh, we will move to race number eight. Let's go to the four. Inject. So it seems like with her six and a half furlongs in a mile, those races were a little bit too far. And I think if you are able to excuse uh, those races, you really find some pretty good form overall for her. They took a shot against Graded Stakes Company in her second career start, and she got bet that day. Uh, but she just got outrun, and that was just a little too tough for her. She finished fourth following that, going six and a half furlong. So you excuse the Pocahontas going a mile. You kind of toss the six and a half furlong race. The next time she went six and a half, she actually still ran well behind Charlie's Penny, but it still it just feels like that's not her preferred distance. Uh, Charlie's Penny won the Silver Bull a day, and... Then, you know, in January, she changes barn. She comes into the Brad Cox barn. She finishes third behind Southern Gracie, who won an optional claimer next out at Oaklawn Park, March the 4th. There are two next out winners out of that race. The third place finisher won an optional 30 next out. The fourth won an optional 50 next out. I think she's just coming out of pretty solid races, and this is a good spot for the number four inject. So at Keeneland on Thursday in the second, the four ready to answer early exotic single in the fifth, the eight perfect Spidey using your pick fives in the seventh race. I've got them six, another miracle with the one, three and five in a lot of the exotics. And in the eighth, I'm looking at the four inject to uh, use in uh, some of those late exotics there. So Keeneland four Thursday, 
Best of luck there as we move along to Oaklawn Park for Thursday. Another big week at Oaklawn. They had the Arkansas Derby. And later on in the week, we are going to have Ed DeRosa joining us from Twin Spires. We're going to talk all about the current Kentucky Derby points standings, what the field looks like because all the prep races are done now. Concert Tour was upset. There was a big, big upset in the Arkansas Derby. So we're going to get through all of the horses who are set to be in the starting gate a little later this week with Ed DeRosa from Twin Spires. Right now, we head over and talk a little bit about Oaklawn for Thursday, get the past performances out for April the 15th. So I'm going to go to race number five uh, at Oaklawn on Thursday. We've got uh, 12 five non-twos Arkansas breads. And the five Prince Leo is in pretty nice form right now. His his two starts, go check them out. They're, they've been pretty impressive, uh, his last two. So he broke his maiden, just able to get up. Last time out, he had a fine start from the rail, but then he had to wait a bit. He was sort of in tight on the inside, a couple lengths off, about two, three lengths off. Um, he moved inside, and he really got going late, and he had a big gallop out. I, I just think he, you know how it is sometimes when you're on the inside, it's tight. you got to kind of wait. They don't necessarily want to move into a tight spot that could close up on them, so they really have to wait for a big opening. And by the time he got it, it was just a tad late. He really tried hard, though. And he's going to go third start off the long layoff and could be set for his absolute best here. The number five, Prince Leo. He's 6-1 to one on the morning line. If we get anything around 7-2, to two, that makes sense on Prince Leo. As we move to race number seven, and I'm looking at the five in here, uh, and I'm looking at Jack Loves Nova, who had an absolutely brutal start last time out. He was dead last, about 13 lengths or so off of it. He ended up moving in between horses, and he started with some really good late energy, was inside up for third. Overall, his form is some of the best, and he's been pretty consistent. It's just you're, you're Dealing with um, some connections right now who are, are struggling. You, you've got a Barn who only has one win on the year for, in 30 starts. And you've got a, a, a Jock who only has three wins in 98 starts now. So not high percentage. But if you do get a price of over 5-1 to one in here, this is that type of race where this horse makes sense. And... Uh, Jack loves. You just want to make sure you get the right type of price. You know, you don't want to take uh, like three to one or anything. If for some reason he does get bet down, but Jack loves Nova. Some of his better efforts would really compete with this group in here, and we'll see if we can get around five to one on him in race number seven. We move along to race number eight, under pressure, and that's the the horse who feels like uh, he will get the setup in here. Now, I know he's coming out of some Louisiana bred races, but he's actually run pretty well outside of Louisiana bred company before. And if you look at the way this race should shape up, so you got Gato Guapo's got some pace, a rival probably going to be flashing a little bit of pace. My sixth sense will be showing some speed. Chris and Dave has the opportunity to show some speed at times. A Plainsman is coming out of that longer race. He can definitely show some speed, but we'll see if he ends up tracking a little bit more, but wouldn't be shocked to see him right on the lead. You got under pressure who was bumped on both sides at the start in his most recent race. He got squeezed back to last. So he's like eighth, about 10 lengths off or so he moves into a bad spot. So he has to start his rally again. So he like he starts moves into a bad spot and then he has to wait, 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 and then get going again and he moved well in between horses. It was kind of sneaky late. Give him a, a shot in here. 
under pressure. If he's around 5-2, to two, that uh, is worthy of a win wager for me. Make sure to use him in all exotics. He's 7-2 to two on the morning line. So you got three plays there for Oaklawn Thursday. In the fifth, the number five, Prince Leo. If we can get around 7-2, to two, we'll make a win wager on him. In the seventh, the number five, Jack Loves Nova. Anything around 5-1 to one would make sense there. And in the eighth, the number five, Under Pressure. Anything around 5-2 to two or so would be a fair price on him. You're always going to get a fair price over at OldSmokeClothing.com. I know you're a fan of horse racing because you're listening to the horse racing part of That's What G Said. And at OldSmokeClothing.com, you will find quality clothing and merchandise that horse racing fans and those who love the atmosphere and lifestyle of racing will be able to enjoy. High-quality products rooted in iconic symbols of racing and the racetrack experience. They are named after... Old Smoke John Morrissey, the founding father of Saratoga. Uh, Look this guy up. He was a street brawler, gang member, cargo thief, brothel bouncer, political enforcer. Uh, He served in Congress and the Senate, and he actually created Saratoga Racecourse. He is just a a cult classic figure. OldSmokeClothing.com is a place where you can find T-shirts with horse names, polos, hoodies, long sleeves, zip-ups, hats with names of big races, uh, race tracks, and with their custom designs, you can create anything you want. Let's say you and your friends have a slogan that you say uh, or a catchphrase that you say when you're betting the races. Maybe a horse that you like that did well for you and made you some money with the old smoke custom design You can create whatever you want. When you use the promo code G-I-N-O, you get free shipping on your order. About the Old Smoke Clubhouse, it is a $500 a year annual fee, and you get quarterly delivery. So you're going to get four deliveries a year, and in each of those, you're going to get an exclusive t-shirt, a custom horse racing-themed gift, various other package fillers from Old Smoke. You're going to get a clubhouse headwear piece made exclusively for the members. You're going to get a a designer outerwear piece made exclusively for members. And then you get 20% off all your orders at OldSmokeClothing.com. You get access to the Old Smoke online forum where you can interact with other like-minded horse racing fans, share tips, selections, and just talk horse racing stories. OldSmokeClothing.com. Use that promo code G-I-N-O. It'll get you free shipping on your order. Let's move and start talking some Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It is a episode four recap with Tim Kelly. Can you believe we are already into episode four of just this six-episode run? Tim Kelly joins me again for one of our in-depth breakdowns where we go scene by scene, major quotes, everything that happened, positives, negatives, things we like, what we're looking for, and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Remember, this is a full recap, so spoiler alert, if you have not watched episode 4, we're going to go into everything that happens scene by scene. Spoiler alert, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode 4 with Tim Kelly. Can you believe we are already into episode 4 of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? That means there's only two episodes left after this Tim Kelly here joining me again to break down everything throughout episode 4 of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier So, spoiler alert, if you have not seen this episode, we are going to talk about everything scene by scene Quotes, big moments, and how this all impacts the greater Marvel MCU universe TK, 
wow, just like an overall yeah. thought of like where we ended this episode with John Walker holding <clears throat> the Captain America shield covered in blood after committing a murder right out in public. Just like yeah. eye-opening. Yeah, it was uh, iconic to say the least. I'd say we, we haven't seen an image quite like that in the MCU so far. And uh, for me, that was uh, the high... Uh, high point of the series so far uh, and it really redeemed a few of the issues I had with the the middle of this episode uh, and it left me feeling like that this was just a very very strong uh, episode uh, probably the best one yet this season the last two I think in episode three and four it sort of feels like um, like for a little while I think because it was the first show of the MCU back uh, WandaVision felt kind of like a phenomenon you know I think yeah. once we hit like like the middle part of WandaVision and it's sort of starting to feel that way with this show too. Like just some of the things that, um, that have happened in the last week. So, uh, mm. the yeah. Marvel released an hour long cut of Zemo dancing from last week in Madripoor. Um, I heard all, about this. So I have not seen of, it because of all of the, like the great feedback they, they saw online. <laughs> they, uh, he, he actually talked about how they filmed him, for just like an hour doing wow. different dance moves, you know, <laughs> like just like he's like freestyling it, you know, so you can watch this thing's been viewed already millions of times. You can watch Amazing. and he's just sitting there, Zemo, doing like dancing for an hour. It's so that funny. Is- that is amazing. I had no idea it was a full hour. I'd heard something about uh, releasing the Zemo cut, joking about that. And I was very in- intrigued when I heard it. I didn't realize it was like an official release or anything. Where can we see that? Uh, so you can look it up on YouTube if you type or if you just type in the Zemo awesome. cut uh, anywhere. And you can also check out exploremadripore.com. Yes. There's a website where you can just like click on a few things and see some stuff. You actually click to like order something and it says uh, we're not taking any orders at this point. Like just like it went mm-hmm. on like a normal play. So <laughs> they are, um, I think, really understanding uh, the the last few weeks how much people are getting into this show. And I love when yeah. when Marvel will fire back with some stuff like that for the fans. Just a, like a real fun like wink and a nod kind of a thing, you know. Yeah, they're making it interactive. It's more fun that way. And and it goes back to kind of what we were talking about with WandaVision, you know, the week to week aspect of it, the water cooler aspect of this, you know, watching a a fun TV show like this is uh, they're really exploring the dynamics of that and uh, stretching the limits of, you know, how we can um, appreciate it. So I I love that kind of thing. There was a a sort of an underlying topic throughout this episode in particular that I thought was really, really interesting. And it just shows you how. How great, like with WandaVision, how they're able to tell a story within the story that they're telling of like the TV eras and moving through mm-hmm. these different eras of sitcoms. This episode was all like about a means to an end mm-hmm. and that Machiavellian um, concept that we right. see Zemo reading Machiavelli. You know, when we meet up with Zemo in this uh, last episode, we hear him mention that. You know, it, you were a means to an end that he says to Bucky. And when you right. you really think about how each character, what that means for them, I, I was thinking a lot about that through this episode. Like, what does that mean for Bucky? He says it when he's referring so to Zemo. You know, he talk he says it to Io when he's talking to her about you know he is just a means to an end. Um, what does it mean for Sam? 
Right? Like Sam for Sam, he's different. Like for Sam, there really is no like he's more like how Steve Rogers was. He's more like rationalizing right. things in his head, you know. For someone like Carly, she says a means to an end. She'll kill people if she has to. For John Walker, what is a means to an right. end? He has said, you know what? I don't think that the government will care what we do as long as we get the job done. It's really right. crazy to think about how that little phrase um can um sort of uh, like motivate all of these major characters differently. That's so true, and a great way to put it. Uh, you know, means to an end is that the the major contrast between you know our Steve Rogers Captain America and this new John Walker's Captain America. I mean, they're both you know for all intents and purposes the Captain America, but really what separates them is how they are Captain America, what how they do the job of Captain America, and. Uh, Steve Rogers wasn't willing to cross lines. Uh, clearly, John Walker is. And it's the same thing, like you just said, with uh, the relationship and uh, the conversation in the middle of the episode between Sam and Carly. Uh, they're kind of ideologically on the same side. Mm-hmm. But where they differ and where Sam has an issue with what Carly's doing is that she's essentially becoming a terrorist to, to, you know, to get to her end. Uh, and he, he can't follow her there. So he's trying to pull her over uh, – to his side and, and, you know, talk some sense into her. One thing that's also, uh, I thought a lot about throughout this episode, remember in when, when this all started captain America way back when, remember what Dr. Erskine, uh, Erskine yes. said, not a yes. perfect soldier, a perfect mm-hmm. man for the serum to work properly. So right. think about how it's affecting all of these different people, how it affects Carly, how it affects Bucky, how it affects John when we see him, you know, we don't actually see him, but we know he ends up taking it. Uh, that's that's, you know, it it's going to uh, at w- the conversation that he has with uh, with Lamar at one point too, Hoskins, it's going to amplify whatever's inside of you. So if, right. if inside of you is already a, an imperfect person. That serum is going to bring a lot of those imperfections out, and we see that throughout this episode. Um, yeah, episode three and four feel like they just they expedited everything. Um, we had to set the scene a little bit in episodes one and two, which were both very good. But uh, but these last two, we've really picked things up, and we get a great opening. TK in Wakanda. Uh, a flashback yeah. of six years ago when Bucky still as the winter soldier with his long hair, um, he's struggling and IO tells him it is time. Bucky asks mm-hmm. if she's sure. And she says, I won't let you hurt anyone. So with fire burning, uh, burning uh, all around, she starts a chant. And as she is sort of going through this incantation, we're seeing clips of all the horrible things Bucky has done. This is a, a like a, a way that this show has done this a lot. From from episode one, right off the bat, where Bucky is with the uh, the psychiatrist, where they're kind of right. like showing these clips of things he has done or past things while they're telling the story. I kind of like this trope. It's sort of like a yeah, they do it a lot in like um, comedy sense, but it's cool when they do it in a serious sense here in this uh, in this show. Yeah. Yeah, the, the little flashback, the cutaways, I, I love that. And um, we should specify, too, I believe what she was saying was, you know, that that code phrase that triggers, that triggers the Winter him. Soldier to be activated. Yep. And it like, was, you know, it was like exposure therapy. Like, I'm going to say this to you one last time, and it's not going to trigger you, and then you're free of it. 
And that was a very powerful uh, scene. I wasn't ready for that, you know, right no. out of the gate. And it was it worked very well also to make Io more significant to um, to Bucky's story and to the story that they're telling here and and her showing up. It, you know, yeah, it, it just made her that much more valuable to the story. And, you know, I, I instantly I care about her and I. It, it means something that she came back here. It's not just a member of the Dora Milaje. It's not just, you know, um, a reference to Cap to uh, to Black Panther, uh, you know, a movie that we all love. Uh, it's it's making it, you know, essential to the story. And I, I just thought that was good storytelling. I um, you and I uh, talked a lot during WandaVision in our, our uh, recaps about how. Oh wow, uh, Elizabeth Olsen, like the acting and Catherine Hahn, and like, oh, they're gonna get Emmys yes. and stuff. This episode, I think, was one where I really, really felt that for both Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie. Mm. I thought that their performances throughout this episode were excellent. I mean, what he does in this opening two like minute where, where he doesn't even really say anything, it's just yeah. it's all like him reliving these moments of trauma. And and it's it's like it's almost funny. Like I, I was thinking about it in a in a sort of like a um, like a, a spiritual sort of like like a shaman kind of way. It's almost like he's hot boxing and like sweating this stuff out, you know, mm-hmm. like while he's watching. Yeah. It, like he's seeing this, and it's like he's kind of releasing this this like winter soldier from him. As Io, you know, uh, said the the words longing, right. rusted, seventeen, daybreak, furnace, nine, benign, homecoming, one, freight car. And he's crying right. as he like feels the pain of all of those he's harmed, and he goes yeah. from the tears to like the last thing we see as she tells him, "You are free. You are free." The cries like turn to a smile at the very end. Yeah. It was like beautiful, it was beautiful. Yeah, it, it was. was. It really was. It was a moving scene right out of the gate, and you're dead on. Uh, Sebastian Stan really won me over in that, and it it made me think. Again, just about you know how what a what a talented actor he is. Uh, I, I was watching some you know clips from the previous movies and and seeing them in a new light and realizing oh wow he's doing a lot of nuanced things here. He's a very intense actor and it got me you know excited a little bit about the prospect of could they bring him back in the Star Wars universe as you know Luke as Skywalker young Luke yeah because <laughs> he's a dead ringer for him. He is. Everybody and, wants this. Uh, I, I've just been very excited about that idea for a while, and I'm digressing a bit, but no, yeah, but it's, back it's to the great. MCU here. It's great. It's great. I think he said too he'd love to, but he wants Luke's blessing first. Like he wants Mark right. Hamill's blessing or something like that. So let's do this, Mark. Bless this man. Let him get in. <laughs> let him get in here. Um, I'm all for it. We get back to present day, and uh, Io and Bucky are talking outside of Zemo's place where we left them. They're out in that little alley. She says, "How could you free him?" And Bucky tells her that they needed his help. Yeah, he says he is grateful to everyone in Wakanda for what they have done for him. Uh, she actually reminds him what Zemo has done, killing the king. But Bucky responds with Machiavelli here. He is a means to an end. Same thing that Zemo said to him when they first reconnected in the jail cell in episode three. So Io uh, says she's going to give Zemo eight hours to get done what he. Uh, she's going to give Bucky eight hours with Zemo. Use him. Do whatever you need, but then we are coming back for him in eight hours. So Bucky heads inside. He tells Sam about the Wakandans. And Zemo, he's in his bathrobe, just chilling in this great-looking robe. And he says, it was sweet of you to defend me. 
This is master manipulator Zemo here You know like he's pulling all the strings He makes everybody sort of trust him As much as possible Like I like this guy now Like I'm I'm upset right. that we know he's gonna turn bad Like I wanna see Zemo as part of the team now You know like he's even won all of the, the fans over So uh, fun fun stuff from, from Zemo here And uh, we got yeah. basically right where we left off last week With Bucky having to let them know Hey look I'm not Zemo and I aren't teaming up We need to use him for something And then hey, you can come and take him Yeah, and, and I mean it, it sets up that uh, A nice ticking clock there too When yes, IO yes. Uh, There's a nice 8 hours So you know they have a set amount of time to work with uh, And then the, that, uh, that other foot's going to drop So it, it's a, it sets up a nice uh, element of suspense Throughout the episode And when they walk into Zemo's apartment The way this scene was lit was something that was very noticeable It's like it was like a church There was a stained glass window And, and yeah. there's like a lot of light Like shining in Like almost like on Sam And like lighting things up It was like very spiritual uh, In here um, I just right. something a little bit different You know something noticeable And um, Sam He's upset at Zemo for killing Nagel <laughs> Zemo responds do we really have to litigate what may or may not happen? Yeah. Sam, there's nothing to litigate. You straight shot the man. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty clear. Yeah, no beating around the bush here. And uh Bucky now sees the news. Um, and Carly has bombed that GRC supply depot. Eleven injured, three dead. They now have a list of demands. And Zemo says she's getting worse. I have the will to complete this mission. Do the two of you Sam says hey she's just a kid Zemo you're seeing something in her That isn't there you're clouded by it She's a supremacist The very concept of a super soldier Will always trouble people It's that warped aspiration That led to Nazis To Ultron to the Avengers Sam jumps in hey those are our friends You're talking about And Bucky he just has to like clarify this. here The Avengers, the not the Nazis <laughs> Right, 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 right Like we didn't know, you know um, So Sam still thinks There might be a peaceful way to stop Carly But Zemo disagrees The desire to become a superhuman Cannot be separated From supremacist ideals Anyone yeah. with that serum Is inherently on that path She will not stop She will escalate until you kill her or she kills you. Yeah, it's like absolute power uh, corrupts absolutely. I think the saying goes. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. and it, it it again goes back to that conversation with uh, you know Stanley Tucci's character from the from the first Captain America movie that uh, th- it's a very volatile, dangerous thing. O- only Steve Rogers, this pure-hearted person uh, who really doesn't exist in the real world. There, you know, in there the real no world, in our world. There's no Steve Rogers out there. And uh, if, if, even in this world, in the MCU, the, the implication is that there's basically just him. He's the exception to the rule. Everybody else is going to be corrupted by this for, for all intents and purposes. Which is really cool because so, yeah. yeah, Zemo actually agrees. You know, Bucky says, maybe you're wrong, Zemo. The serum never corrupted Steve. And he says, touche. But there right. has never been another Steve Rogers, has there? Mm. And that's got Sam and Bucky speechless because he's right. There has never been another one. Um, Bucky says maybe they should just give Zemo to the Wakandans right now But Zemo reminds him he is their tour guide He's giving them information and bringing them places that they can't really go themselves So uh, Sam, Sam brings up the older woman who died, Donya. 
Maybe they can find out information um, about her funeral and then get information there from some of the uh, the the flag smashers. So they uh, they have a tentative plan. They're going to try to find out anything they can there. Uh, this is when Sam mentions his TT, and they get a laugh about that because he says uh, when his his TT died, it was a very big thing for the community, and they celebrated her all week long. <laughs> but uh, I think what Zemo says, "Oh, your TT would be very proud of you, Sam." You know, something <laughs> something like that. But uh, we uh, so th- they've got a plan. It's not a great one here, um, but what what I think is a little funny about this too is that Sam. You know, Bucky always wants Captain America to, or always knew that Steve had a plan, and he always wants Sam to have a plan. And now Sam is kind of starting to do that. You know, he's starting to kind of have a little bit of a plan right. when he goes places. Now this is whereas Sam is kind of more of like a uh, fly by the hip, shoot by the hip kind of guy. It's like he's he's subconsciously kind of becoming Captain America a little yes. bit, like doing these things. You know? Yeah, it's a beautiful way to um to showcase his art that he's kind of stepping into the role even without. You know, being fully conscious of it. So, Zemo then <laughs> pulls out some of his candy, these Turkish delights, right? And he tosses them to Sam, and uh, he really knows how to play these dudes. I mean, um, I, I my note here was I would love for him to actually be a changed person and a good guy, but we know he's, you know, he's got a mission yeah. himself, and he's got something up his sleeve. He's just trying to, um. Pull all the strings that the total puppet master in every room he's in, he's like, you see Zemo thinking three or four steps ahead. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And it goes back to that. He's a, he's a chess player, you know, so he's, he's going to be thinking that way and scheming that way always. And that's, that's what he did in, uh, in his introduction, uh, in civil war too. I mean, he had an elaborate plan that involved a lot of different characters and many, many steps ahead. Um, so yeah, he's going to be doing that always, and he still remains the wild card in this episode. Uh, later on, he's he's confronted with, you know, an an opportunity, I suppose, and I wasn't sure which way he was going to go with it. Um, but uh, I think we'll get to that in a little bit. So we go to the Flag Smashers camp, and they are all watching the news report of the place that they bombed, the GRC place. What what they don't know, I guess, or they didn't realize is that they killed somebody. One of the workers there was a father of two. He was killed, and he'd only been working there a week. The news report said, the act of violence has also brought attention and followers to the Flag Smashers case. No one can deny the reach of this group is growing, as is the danger. Mm-hmm. So um, there was uh, there were a couple things throughout this episode, too, that I think are are. Uh, important to point out now Keep in mind this Show had A storyline and That they actually had to take out of the show Because yeah. it was Involving a virus that the Serum mm-hmm. was causing And when the coronavirus Pandemic happened I think they Decided to tweak this and remove That from the show because it may have Seemed a little bit I don't want to say uh, insensitive But I think mm-hmm. they just thought it might have been a little like hit a little too close to home at the current time. So there are a few yeah. scenes throughout. And I was reading some other recaps and watching some other things that Same. were yeah. if you really look, you can probably point out things that they had to kind of go back and change. Um 
this this could have yeah. been one of those scenes that were where there was more to it, but they kind of had to remove it and just kind of just show you what was happening. There's another one later where Carly is talking to a couple of the guys that are sort of like the right hand men, her associates that we've seen, mm-hmm. and there's there's similar like dialogue and and sort of like the way it's shot. It almost seems like they there was more dialogue that they kind of had to remove and cut out. So. Just something to keep in mind because uh, yeah, how, how weird is that, Tim? Like this was going to be a, a lot of this story was going to be that I think I think it was something like the serum, like what happened to Danya was was affecting some people. They were getting sick with this virus, and um, yeah, that they even called Nagel. So they sort of referenced it a little bit. Yeah, and I think that um, you know I was reading the same thing about it. I, I'll be honest, I didn't notice this on my own. No, not really and, either. And just re- yeah. And, yeah, and just reading about it, I, I came across this this story as well. First off, a little disappointed to, to be honest. I mean, I don't know exactly what was going on, but when I hear about that, I don't feel like. I mean, there's we we know about viruses. We can tell right? stories about viruses. Yeah. I don't see why we had to shy away from that necessarily. Especially but, when it's you know, something that's involving the serum, right? It was like a, yeah. I think it would have been evolved like a virus, like that was because people were shooting themselves up with the super soldier serum, and it was re- responding from that. So. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I mean, I guess like I guess if it's something that we didn't really notice and had to be kind of right. turned on to, that we'll see if it shows up any any more in the next couple episodes. I thought it was just something definitely worth uh, worth mentioning. Uh, yeah, it's a shame though. I wonder what we're we might be missing out on if it yeah. adds another layer of you know quality and and depth a second to or this third story kind of storyline. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I do kind of you know regret that we're not able to experience what, how it was initially meant to be a great uh, seen. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I think it was also when I was reading about it, um, or it might have been a video I saw. There was uh, a mention about it. Nagel might have even had a line tweaked regarding the tuberculosis of yeah. um, of. Oh, I'm sorry. What's her, what's her name? The Donya. woman. Danya. Of Danya, of Danya's tuberculosis, I think might have had a, a relationship to that, that they had had to dub in the line tuberculosis when it was initially about whatever that virus not story was. Not so. my farm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that still stands out as Me just too. being one of the one of the creepiest things any bad guy has ever said in anything. Just so cringy and creepy at the same time. Uh, absolutely loathsome. So we get uh, we get to Zemo. And he's taking them to what is like a flag smasher sanctuary. And it looks like a place that uh, was sort of like a museum kind of historical building. Very nice, like older place, but it's sort of it's run down. And Zemo mentions he used to go here with his family for dinner parties and fancy events. So Sam, Bucky, and Zemo are together. They're investigating the building. Sam decides to go upstairs and take a look. But everyone that he approaches, they immediately run off. It's like they're scared of him. They don't want to talk to him at all. He's looking around. He keeps mentioning the name Donya Madani, uh, Bucky. He's looking downstairs. He has no luck either. Seeing, you know, interacting with families, washing their clothes. They're just not responding. Sam approaches a classroom and uh, he sees a man who we assume is a teacher. He's helping some kids out there. Sam asks the man about Donya. Uh, he says she was a refugee, but the teacher responds back, "We are not refugees. We have nothing to seek refuge from." We are internationally displaced persons, and for what it's worth, we do not trust outsiders. Sam says he's just there to help, but the teacher responds, I know what happens when people say they're going to help out. Nothing. The GRC promised to send more teachers, supplies. That was six months ago. I know who you are, but I can't trust you. I'm sorry. And he walks off. So no luck for Sam, no luck for Bucky. 
But we do get a little bit of insight here At least in this interaction with with Sam and the teacher um, That, uh, you know what what's going on? You know the th- this is another you know reason that a lot of people are starting to get behind their cause. They they've had like supplies, food, homes like taken from them and and redistrib yeah. and redistributed. Yeah, it's a uh, it seems like it's a, a really I, I like the way that 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 moment really shows us the on the ground kind of effects of. You know the the blip happening and this and all of the ramifications of the GRC and it feels very real world and it feels very um, like something we might see in the news uh, today very reflective of of what's going on internationally. So Zemo now uh, this this like five seconds of him creepily walking over to the group of kids as he sings. Mm-hmm. Baba black sheep Have you any wool Yes sir Yes sir Three bags full One for the master One for the dame One for the little girl Who lives down the lane And he he pours out his bag of candy For the kids He references again Turkish delights It was always my son's favorite and he says my old friend Danya passed away Did you know her As he talks to one young girl Who says yes uh, He said I would like to pay my last respects Do you know where her funeral will be The girl whispers into Zemo's ear And Sammy, uh, Sam and Bucky show up And they see him talking to the, the kids They don't have any leads They're wondering what Zemo's doing Zemo tells the kids uh, Do you see these men They are very bad Not to be trusted Danya is our little secret He points over to Sam and Bucky uh, The kids agree and then he uh, they take the candy So again he knows how to play these people He knows how to yeah. play everyone man Bring in the Turkish effective. delights yeah. Again he's, he's, he's effective But also you know pulls out That wild card at the end and just undermines Them by, by um, alienating from Them from the group and telling the, the kids That they're, they're bad people not to be trusted uh, and I, I thought it was very interesting and a nice connection to how he, he mentions that the Turkish delights were actually his son's favorite dessert. And that's, I think, also a callback to the um, the red bean mochi from earlier in the series, which oh. was that character's son's favorite dessert. You're so right? a little bit of a. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. no, a, a little good. bit of a connection there. I don't know if that was intentional, but that's I like a good to think point. it was. Yeah, it, it's a great point. So. We are back at Zemo's place And Sam and Bucky uh, are talking about Carly Sam says uh, Carly is the only one fighting for them She's not wrong For five years people have been welcomed into countries uh, That have kept them out That have kept them out using barbed wire There were houses and jobs Folks were happy to have people around them Help them rebuild It was just one community coming together It was the entire world coming together And then boom just like that It goes right back to the way it used to be Bucky then jumps in You really think her ends Justify her means Here we Again uh, it said It wasn't just one uh, community coming Or her ends justify her means Then she is no different than him Or anybody else we fought She point. He points to Zemo um, who is just like calmly making tea over in the kitchen? <laughs> like, and he, I love yeah. that when like when like serious stuff is happening or like real fighting is going down, and he's just he's just straight chilling. Um, Sam yeah. says she is different. 
She's not motivated by those same things That's when they ask Zemo what the little girl said to them uh, Zemo says that, that Donya's funeral is later today Bucky wants more information than that uh, He reminds Zemo that the Dora Milaje are going to be here soon uh, But Zemo, he wants to keep some of his info as leverage uh, here And uh, this this really pisses Bucky off He grabs a glass, he chucks it into the wall He wants what Bucky knows He wants what uh, what Zemo knows Sam tries to calm Bucky down And we get this funny, funny little moment Where Sam says to him Don't engage him He's just going to extort you And do that stupid yes. head tilt thing And Wall <laughs> And Zemo had already started To do the head tilt And yeah, he like, yeah. as soon as Sam says it he realizes and he like straightens his neck back up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this was just hilarious. It was great. And that, it was such a perfect uh, reaction from Daniel Brühl too, because he did it so subtly. It was, it was, it was definite. It was there, but it was subtle enough where it just felt real. And it, it just cracked me up. Absolutely. It was a standout from the episode. It was so, so funny. So um, Sam then uh, goes to make a phone call. Uh, and uh, Zemo just politely asks Bucky, "Would you like some cherry blossom tea?" <laughs> you know, like it just <laughs> like Bucky was just about to kill him. You know, he yeah. threw a glass. He's like holding him by the throat. It, Sam has to talk Bucky off the ledge, and then uh, Zemo like just like nothing. But but we can actually see when Bucky walks away, Zemo get, get, like we see what he's really feeling for a moment, where he right. exhales. It is like, oh crap, yeah, like, that was close. Like I almost like I almost overstepped my boundaries a little bit there again, you know. So he we we get the we really do get the feeling here that he's playing everyone, you know. He's playing Definitely. this this character and trying to play it cool and play it smooth and uh, just those are the some of the things that he has done so well throughout this series. The last two episodes, you said Daniel Brule has been fantastic too, man. Absolutely. So good. So yeah, so and, good. like what that that reaction too. I'm so glad you mentioned it because. I I immediately just got this feeling like, oh yeah, he was really afraid that he was about to be gravely injured or maimed yep. right there. And I mean, Which that's we just, haven't seen any, from him a yeah, whole lot. Ex- exactly, exactly. And he bluffed it and, and you know played it off so so casually. Uh, but uh, that that reaction at the end, that little bit of realness was was so perfect because yeah, at the end of the day, he's just a dude. He's not a super soldier, and he almost yeah, you know in his mind, he probably thought he was about to get. Really badly hurt there And <laughs> you really felt that from his reaction So Sam calls Sharon He asks her for a little bit of help And she's walking through this really shady place In Madripoor Like underground kind of place It looks, yeah. like, it reminds me of like a, Like a Batman You know like for Batman Forever Was it one of them you know where they're mm-hmm. like uh, Underground and they've got this like circus Of evil circus like chasing um, yeah. So Kind of so, neon yeah. yeah, yeah, very colorful and neon. Um, but she, the the conversation is interesting here. So, um, Sam, you know, he asks her for a little bit of help, and he needs an extra set of eyes on the camp. She says, "You got the no problem." She she kind of agrees to help him, even though she feels like, uh, you know, he's she already he's she's already owed from him. But yeah, what does she say? She says like, "Oh, I feel like a a a." a Request coming on or something yeah, like that, or like favor coming. She can sense she's it. Very, right yeah, yeah. And she says, "You got to play this out. If Carly disappears, we're not going to find the serum until it's too late. The power broker went ape shit when he heard about Nagel. He wants the serum back. You killed the golden goose. 
Madripoor is about to get real nasty Just find Carly Now that was interesting because Is she helping Sam Or is she manipulating Sam to help her For the things that she is what is her you know and this has been a major topic now we're four episodes in of a six episode series season mm-hmm. and we haven't seen the power broker we don't know who the power right. broker is nobody knows who the power broker is even the person who knows the most that we know about the power broker zemo doesn't know anything about him just knows stories doesn't even know if it is a him is it right Sharon? is there's a lot of people who think that yeah, yeah. or you know we, we know one thing if she is or if she isn't, she has a major connection to him. Either that she's done work for him, is currently working for him, or just knows a lot and has interacted with him or her being in Madripoor. Definitely. Uh, it seems like they're kind of hinting that she's working directly for him. That's that's where kind of my I feel gut is too. going. I, I don't feel like, I, although it would make sense, I don't feel like uh, she is the power broker. Uh, I could I could see that kind of making sense, but it just doesn't quite add up to me. Um, and then there's there's some other theories about who the power broker are. I've heard um, General Ross, Thunderbolt Ross from the Hulk movies, who came back in um, Civil War. Uh, he he was very obviously interested in the super soldier serum. Apparently he was blipped out of existence. So if he came back, he wouldn't have been like an active general. So maybe he would have to go back into the underground, but using his his you know existing connections from before that 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 could kind of make sense. But there's also there's a comics um, character that's the the power broker. I'm not I forget the his name, but he is an actual. There's a real alter ego in mm-hmm. the comic, so it could just be uh, waiting to meet that guy down the line. So Carly is speaking with one of the uh, the flag smashers. Did, I, I don't they don't name him, do they? The guy that she's talking Sorry. to. The one, and I think this is, the, this is the one oh, who gosh. inevitably gets killed um, at the end. That you know, uh, spoiler alert: we're going to talk about that. But yes. you saw yes. that. Um, I so I don't. I'm just rep Carly and her associate. This guy, they're in a cemetery, and they've uh, they they've hidden. This is where they the hiding spot is for the the serum that they have. And so you see them removing a, a brick and and taking out the vials of serum. And Carly asks him, "Do you think we're making a mistake? Making more of us?" He responds, my grandfather Lucas was a World War II resistance fighter. He always used to tell me, if you're doing something and it makes you scared, it's probably because it's the right thing. And he fought Nazis, so (laughs) she laughs. Carly thinks that's good advice, Uh, but he goes on. He says, you know, when I was a kid, I was actually a Captain America fan. She says, oh, I might make fun of you for that. Uh, He says, no, but he made me believe there were decent people in this world. I didn't think there could be another Captain America until I met you. Back then, there was just good and bad. But now the world is more complicated. People are lost. They need a leader who looks like them, who understands their pain, and someone who understands that today's heroes don't have the luxury of keeping their hands clean. What are what will are we uh, which which is really crazy. Um when you think about it, because this is a guy who is going to be killed by Captain America at the end of this episode, yeah. whose hands literally aren't going to be clean. It was very ironic him him saying that. Yeah, absolutely. The, the the dramatic irony in there was was palpable. I mean, in the end, to see his face and the last image that he's seeing is that shield coming up 
to come down and, and, and murder him. And this, in the same way, c- calling back to that final fight with Steve and Bucky versus, um, versus Iron Man, versus Tony Stark at the end of Civil War, the way he's coming down with that shield. But this time it's uh, a, a lethal blow, uh, just disturbing to, stay, to say the least. But yeah, adding to the fact that here's this, the imagery of this like icon that you kind of looked up to, maybe even like almost like worshipped as a child. That's you know the 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 thing, the person that's going to to ultimately kill you, and so brutally too. It's just, oh. And uh, he ends by saying, "What we are doing will outlive the legacy of that shield." Carly responds by saying, "That shield is a monument to a bygone era, a reminder of all the people history just left out." If anything, that shield should be destroyed That serum is how we make change But first, we pay our respects to Mama Danya So mm-hmm. they uh, they head off to have their little ceremony for, for Mama Danya And John Walker and Hoskins arrive in Latvia And uh, Walker, he's pissed like, Right off the bat, he's pissed and, like, Right when we see him all episode He's just fuming from the very beginning um, And then there's just different levels of how Furious he gets throughout Yeah, Carly Morgenthau is too dangerous For you guys to be pulling this shit First thing you notice right off the bat Right he comes in and yeah. says shit You know right. like Cap- Language. Steve Rogers never cussed <laughs> Language language. <laughs> yeah, you know? and, then, and when he yeah. did It was The the one or two times that he did It, it was like so impactful because yeah. he did, you know, it was like, whoa, and then they all, you know, they oh, all made true. fun of it. This guy just comes in right away and he's throwing shit bombs like nothing, you know. Um, yeah, there's a lot of little little things that show the separation between him and, and Steve and the him getting further and further unhinged, uh, even down to like um, the scruff on his face is more and more throughout yeah. the episode. Yeah. Um, and you, you, there's little things like a, he's twitchy. He's kind of twitchy. And ultimately mm-hmm. that last shot. I think one of the most powerful things of it from that low angle with obviously the the dramatic blood on the bottom of the the shield, which is so prominent in the frame. But he's doing this very subtle twitch in his neck and his hands. And the performance there is, is, is I think, phenomenal just um, just to show he, that he, arc. He, he deserves some love, too, because what's funny Big is like time. sometimes when you play a bad guy, you don't get as much credit because people want to hate the guy. Right. But he's doing right. A perfect job of making you hate him And all of those little Small things that you just Referenced like You you feel this guy breaking down Throughout the episode like yeah, Even see- his posture Yes, Even his posture uh, you know going back to the end of that uh, That final shot That uh, we mentioned before His posture it's this low angle Where he's standing tall in the frame but he's not Standing tall he's kind of He's a little bit hunched he's a little bit Almost he has the shame from all the people around him and what he, what he's just done on some level, but he's just he's nearly broken. He's at his he's at the end. Uh, they even they even show blood coming kind of out of his ear a little bit before that, uh, which maybe he's he's had a head injury at the time, so he's not this like powerful, um, you know, individual of Captain America that we see in, in Steve Rogers. Like th- there's something broken and uh it's almost like the the contrast between you know going to the dc uh side of things like like superman and bizarro you know he's almost that bizarro captain america you know yes you're right um and uh and bucky you know wants to know how did you find us 
He says, mm-hmm. come on, man. You really think two Avengers can walk around Latvia without drawing attention? <laughs> I think Hoskins right. says that back to him. And uh, so you got the two Avengers and then the big Baron with his coat walking all over the place. You know, they're not <laughs> exactly subtle when they when they walk around no. together. Um, John Walker says, you can start by telling us why you broke him out of prison, as he points to Zemo. Walker is heated, and Sam tries to calm him down. Zemo tells John Walker that he knows where Carly is. And then they talk about the funeral Walker's plan, he wants to move in fast And just take her alone But Sam wants to talk to her first He wants to reason with her Walker thinks that they're way past reasoning at this point Hoskins agrees But uh, Walker says to Bucky You really want You're really going to let him do this? You're really going to let your partner walk into a room With a super soldier alone? Bucky says he's dealt with worse And he's not my partner That's when Sam tells them Remember we, we, we saw Sam uh, at the beginning He is someone who has counseled people With trauma for years yeah. Soldiers, this is something he has done So yeah. um, Hoskins Reconsiders and says You know, wait John, if he can talk her down It might be worth a try So mm. uh, and That's quickly, so important yeah, That's so yes. important too because Hoskins, especially in that moment Represents A kind of like tempering um, uh, Agent for, for John Walker He's he's somebody who's going to kind of bring he's Walker back board. down to reality. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, he's a sounding board. He's a con- he's a conscience for him, right? And that's going to be very important later in the episode uh, if if Walker's to lose that. So, you know, we'll get to it in a minute. But uh, I thought that was actually a really important thing that the writers planted there to kind of solidify that that importance of his um, his relationship to John Walker. So. Uh... Zemo takes them to the little girl The little girl who he gave the candy to earlier He gives her some money And uh, she takes them where to where the funeral is um, For Donya So they arrive And Sam is goes to look for Carly Walker agrees he's going to give Sam 10 minutes before coming in And he handcuffs Zemo to a pole downstairs And they wait So Walker, Zemo, Hoskins And Bucky are waiting while Sam goes to find Carly Because he wants to have a, a one-on-one with her Sam walks in and sees Carly speaking at the wake for Donya, And she says, I remember being alone Worse than being hungry or cold or scared I was alone Until Mama Donya. She saved me She clothed me She fed me She loved me She taught me uh, What we have to do for each other Because they won't And we know who they are The struggle is what brings us together One world One people live accordingly And she notices that Sam has walked in While she is talking But she continues to talk It's not like she's scared of him and tells everybody Oh leave it's the the Falcon You know so um, Everyone kind of pays their respects And then we see um, Sam and, And Carly start to interact While Zemo, Walker, Hoskins, Bucky They all wait downstairs Carly and Sam start to talk uh, And we'll get to their conversation there before But I thought thought it was interesting Just uh, when she She kind of show you like she sees Sam And she's not scared of Sam, Carly Yeah, Uh, Not at all, like not in their conversation And not in when he is a, a rise to the wake I think from the beginning She kind of understands that Sam might be a little different Because it seems like she knows a lot about his life already She she references it to him right when they start talking about Hey, w- why are you even here fighting this battle? Don't you have a battle to be fighting in your own home? Right, yeah It's um, 
you know, I didn't really uh, think much about that, but it's a, that's a great point. Uh, there must be a reason why she entertains him uh, in the first place. She's already this radicalized character. So, mm-hmm. yeah, she doesn't have to. About... She can kill him with one punch if she wants. Right, right. So she must know uh, enough about him to know that he's, you know, a trustworthy guy or a good person uh, and and to not just re- reject it outright, you know, because she's she's for all, she's a radical terrorist at yep. this point. Uh, yeah, she just killed there's a, She just blew up a there's a great, yeah, And there's a great chance he's coming to arrest her. Why she would think otherwise is is, is very strange, you know. Uh, but, yeah, she's, she's given him the benefit of the doubt. And I think maybe that also speaks to her character, too, that, you know, she's not this full-on villain. I mean, I, well, I guess like she, she kind of right? is, but her motivation good is not. That's what Sam just said uh, about her. To Bucky and Zemo um, at, at Bucky's at Zemo's house. Her motivation yeah. is not the same motivation as the other people you're talking about. Yeah, very true. Very true. It's just about her means to to that end. You know, she's yes. motivated for for a good purpose. She, she's she's on Sam's side. Sam's on her side. They they just disagree on how to go about uh, accomplishing their goals. I understand you, Sam says. Your frustration, your helplessness. I know what it feels like to lose someone. She thinks she's making the world a better place, but Sam lets her know, if you're killing people, it's just different. And she smiles, and she says, you're either brilliant or just hopelessly hopelessly optimistic. And this scene was another one that gave me goosebumps because, like, this was such a Captain America Steve Rogers type scene. With Sam coming in and talking her down and, and trying to save her and and telling his partners who wanted just to go in there. You know, and and just be aggressive. Hey, let me deal with this. Like putting himself in jeopardy. He 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 could at any moment be sabotaged, be attacked by a group of flag smashers. But he wants to. If he thinks he can just save one more life, it's worth it. This this just like screamed something that Steve Rogers would have done. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, to to that end, it's just showing that that journey and showing us as a character or as as the uh, audience that is that his character. Um, befits the Captain America, you know, uh, moniker that he he's worthy of that. You know, he just has to kind of realize that. And one of the things that um, that kind of tells us how worthy he is is that he he rejects it. He rejects it when he's given it, and uh, when he's asked, I, I think it was in this episode, he's asked if he would take the Super Soldier Serum at, at one point. He flat out immediately says no. Like he he doesn't even really think about it. Like so, it's just. Um, it just shows that, you know, he's not in it for, you know, power. He's in it for, you know, just doing what's right. And as Sam jokes with her, they they start to seem like they're really connecting. But Walker is yeah. getting really impatient down downstairs. He wants to go in. Uh, Bucky stops yes. I, him. I love the cutting here, too. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, I, no. I, I love the, the back back and forth cutting here because they really, uh, like, kind of stressed the the – the, the duality, the dichotomy of the situation there where, you know, we're seeing this very calm, uh, you know, conversation between Carly and Sam and they're going somewhere and it's positive and it's, it's, it's you know, we're, we're making progress. And then we're cutting back to Walker just becoming more and off more the off the hinges, unhinged and just stressing. And you can see him just kind of bubbling up and this nervous energy and the, the tension there. And 
then they cut back to, to Sam and Carly and that this back and forth kind of dynamic with the editing there really highlights that there's, they're totally incongruous with each other. Uh, it really highlights the contrast of just this, this frenzy that's being worked up for no reason with Walker and, you know, Sam, who's, who's killing it, you know, over with, with Carly, he's doing exactly what he wanted to do. And yet, you know, uh, for some reason, they're gonna barge in and ruin the whole thing. The sense of urgency in the two places, right? Like, right, up, right. Upstairs, it seems like you're just two friends having a conversation, you know. And yeah. then downstairs, it's like, let's go, we gotta go, we gotta go. Like Walker is like roid raging before he's even taken the roids, you know. Um, yeah. he's it just he's, creates so much tension for us, you know. Yeah, and he says uh, to Bucky, "This is really easy for you, isn't it? All that serum running through your veins, Barnes." Yeah. Your partner needs backup in there Do you really want his blood On your hands So we cut back to Sam and Carly And Sam asks her You have more serum right Are you going to increase your army You're killing innocent people Carly responds they're not innocent They're roadblocks in my journey And I'd kill them again if I have to But she sort of stops And she she realizes what You you, you made me say that Like I I didn't mean it like that You know and and he said, and that's when she sort of tries to turn it around on Sam and say, "Why aren't you at home trying to save your place?" He says, "My sister actually asked me the same thing. I'm not your enemy. I agree with your fight, and this is what you've referenced a couple times. I just can't get with the way you're fighting it, and I'm yeah. sure she wouldn't either." And he points over to Mama Danya, and right at this moment. Where it feels like they're really connecting They're really having a breakthrough Like oh wow Like They are sharing in these Common feelings Walker bus right And there's two breakthroughs There's two breakthroughs that are really happening In in that moment that you described The two breakthroughs are one He's kind of got to the point where He's asking the important information Kind of like an interrogation He got got to the direct questions About you know where's the serum and, and all that but also he broke through on like a moral ethical level. Like he got through to her and kind of got her to see the error of her ways and get, bring her to his side a little bit more. But then like you were just saying, they bust in right at the absolute worst time and totally erase all that. And, uh, she, she's, she's pissed, right? Like she feels like this was all part of a plan. Like this was a ruse to try to, to try to, uh, arrest her. Um, she thinks she's been tricked. And Walker says you're under arrest To Carly I mean she quickly Beats his ass and runs off like This is just like a And then she's gone Uh, Bucky starts chasing her And then when we go back downstairs We see the handcuff Of Zemo that is empty He has escaped And he finds Carly And he doesn't wait around He just starts shooting right at her Zemo actually hits her And uh Sort of in like the stomach area And he It knocks all of the vials of super serum Out of the container she has And they're all over the floor And as she's hiding He says is this what I think it is (laughs) Picks up a vial And he looks at it And then he just starts smashing all of them And stomping all of them out So cool and Great Walker's, angle there, this low angle The low yeah. angle that they had So you can see it from underneath as it's getting smashed With the blues spraying everywhere I loved that shot And you see he's so focused on eliminating Getting rid of the serum That Corley yeah. actually is able to escape um, But he's like He just wants to smash all of the vials that he can And as soon yeah. as he it, Corley has just escaped It looks like he's completely 
finished getting rid of all the serum He gets blindsided in the head by uh, by Walker He nails him in the face with the shield Yeah, that was rough And, and that, uh, that, this was a moment, too, that I kind of alluded to earlier About him, you know, being super effective um, but But also still the wild card In that moment where he's looking down at the vials And he asks, is, is this what I think it is? I think as the, as the audience, we don't know if he's going to take it for himself or if he's going to smash it there. And, it, you know, that was one of the moments where I'm going, oh, is he the power broker? If he's the power broker, he's going to take it for himself. But once he starts smashing him, we kind of it's solidified. We know, I think he's not the power broker. And he is he really means what, what he says about, you know, about uh, this kind of like anti-eugenics stance, like yes. that any superhuman is is bad. Like that's he he's a true that's believer in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's 100%. his mission. And he's he's going to smash those things. He's not going to take the power from himself. And in that way, he's almost a little bit even more endeared to us as the audience because we see, oh yeah, he's kind in his own way. He's pure of heart, right? Yes. He's not corruptible in that way. I mean, he's done done bad things, but you know, he's yeah, he's. He's, he's driven by by this like he's driven and motivated by something, right? He's got right. it like his ends justify his means. He's got a cause that he. It's not just like like um you know like a like a a, a like we talk about like just some random evil guys that want to kill everyone up. Like mm-hmm. uh, the 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 best villains are the ones that the like the Thanos yeah. like like a Zemo who hey I, we made a mistake I have to get rid of all of this because this is going to be better for the world. Hey, we eliminate half of the people yeah. here. This world will will live longer because of the oxygen. Like so, it's yeah, it's it's very like right. we're supposed to hate this guy, but he's smart. You know, he's just it's right. because he's a bad guy. Um, in the way it's sort of just what Sam is talking about with Carly. It's not yeah. It's not the what. It's like the how and the why, right? Like, it's not what you're right. believing in. It's it's why you're going to these means or how you're going to try to justify your means. And that's where the good people and the bad people differ. Yeah, it's like they're morally sincere, but they have issues with their ethics. You know, they, yeah. they're ethically wrong. So uh, yeah. I... I, I love that. That that's what makes a good a good villain. I, I think um, that's that was Michael B. Jordan in Black Panther mm-hmm. was was so appreciated because he was, you know, an an understood kind of villain. You know, we understood where he was coming from, even though we didn't agree with what he was doing. So Walker picks up the one vial of serum that's left on the floor, and he kind of looks at it for a second, and he puts it in his pocket. We then get to Sam and Bucky and Hoskins. Um, they walk in and they see uh, John Walker standing over Zemo. They see the the vials of serum all destroyed all over the floor. And, and Sam says, uh, "What do we miss?" You know, or one of them say <laughs> as they uh, they walk in. Um, we then cut back to Carly. Um, she's talking with that same guy, and they realize that the serum has all been destroyed. And she's starting to kind of to crack a little bit and uh, and. To get like emotionally broken down And they at that moment They get a message from the power broker it Says you can play revolutionary On borrowed time little girl I want the serum back Or I will find you and I will end you But yeah. she does have an idea She thinks if they can Separate Cap- Sam From Captain America They can kill Captain America So yeah. That when she says that remember the guy that she's talking to is someone who told her he was a big fan of Captain America growing up. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, 
by the way, I found it. His name is Nico. That thank you. His name is Nico. Okay, thank you. So I don't have to keep referring to it. But so so Nico, you know, who had referenced his grandfather and fighting for the country, you know, and and like and and that he was he thought Captain America was someone to believe in, to believe in all that is good, and now she wants to kill him. You see, like a little response from him, like I think some of the flag smashers here are are. On the same sort of um, They're having the same sort of Inner, I think inner mm-hmm. uh, Like turmoil that We just saw in the conversation between Sam and Carly Like they yeah. they believe in what Carly Believes, but I think a lot of these people Didn't understand that was going To mean they're going to go start killing people Yeah, and we saw a little taste of that uh, In the previous episode too When she blew up the building mm-hmm. And was kind of uh, called on that Action by, you know her other associate, the other flag smasher, uh, whose name I don't know, <laughs> yeah, but the I, I one with the longer hair. Yeah, the, so they're the two guys. Uh, one of them is Nico. It was the other guy that she was talking to in the first episode, who was uh, when they ended up bombing the place. And um, so they're they're these two guys that throughout this episode, she's kind. They're kind of like her uh, her. I, I don't want to say henchmen, but you know, they're like in her inner circle, um, where she she kind of talks with them and kind of plans out what what the flag smashers are going to do next. Mm-hmm. So. She uh, at this point, we are now back at Zemo's. Sam is talking to Sharon Carter, um, discussing you know what they're going to do, and this is when Zemo asks Sam. He's icing his face after getting nailed by the uh, the shield. He says he asks Sam if if Sam was ever offered and if he would have taken the serum, and immediately right. Sam responds no, uh, and Zemo yeah. tells him. You cannot hold out hope for Carly. We cannot allow that she and her acolytes become an, yet another factions of gods amongst real people. Super soldiers cannot be allowed to exist. Yeah. And Sam's response, isn't that how gods talk? And if that's how you feel, what do you feel about Bucky? Blood isn't always the solution. This was, again, like, they do a great job yeah. of this, like, a 30 second scene but but very powerful A lot going on here Because we Like Sam is Sam is not getting tricked by Zemo I think in all of this Like he understands mm-hmm. the the pawn That Zemo is to help them out here But in this conversation I think Sam is sort of reiterating the fact that You still want to kill Bucky You're going to right. try to kill Bucky If you get a chance to do so because you yeah. you basically just like you basically just told me again that's what you're gonna do you know like you're gonna get rid of all these people so it was one of those where it's like Zemo has been very smart about not being the stupid villain who reveals his plan but this was almost a, like a he he was caught napping moment yeah I could definitely see that and it's a nice reminder for us as an audience to a refresher on kind of what Zemo's motivations are here uh, and I I really liked how it. It didn't. It didn't use the word eugenics, but it kind of just pointed right to that, you know, age-old yep. debate. When that was the motivation in a lot of ways of, of you know, the Nazis to create this Ubermensch, and uh, and that's in a way what inspired the origins of Captain America as kind of like an answer to that idea of, of this German Ubermensch. We're going to create our own, you know, Uber, you know, Superman, uh, Captain America guy to go fight these Nazis over there. Um, and undermine that whole idea. So, in a way, I I, I love it because it's it's uh, Zemo showing that you know he's kind of right. You know, it's it's it, 
it's wrong to use eugenics kind of thinking, you know, that there's, that's inherently very problematic. And it's an idea that's been presented and, and discussed and debated in, in, you know, our society for a long time now. So, um, it, it was just a, it was a, it was a nice moment thematically, I think for that. And yeah, you're right. He, he kind of did, uh, slip a little bit there by, by revealing his, his motivations because somebody who's manipulating is obviously you want to want to keep all that stuff close to the chest. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the more he he shares with those other guys about the less power he has, yeah, the less power he has over them because they're going to be able to figure out what he wants and you know put two and two together. But, ah, you're not you don't want me to do this. You want me to do that thing over there. Uh, so I'm not going to you know fall into your little trap. So yeah, I I totally see how that could be a a, a moment where he just kind of uh, he lost himself. He lost uh, sight of the plan a little bit and. Shared a little too much, overshared. So Bucky walks in. He says something isn't right about Walker. I know crazy when I see one. Yeah. You shouldn't have given. I'm because cr- I'm crazy. Shouldn't have given right. him the shield. And uh, Walker and Hoskins then bu- uh, bust into Zemo's, demanding to take Zemo. I mean, Walker is being such a dick here, and he's about to fight Sam. Like he puts the shield down to try to fight Sam, and, and then the Dora Milaje show up. So. so uh, and uh, Io says to Bucky Even if he is a means to your end The time is up So again we get that uh, that phrase uh, All throughout this episode um, yeah. and, and Walker here He is like He is trying to be Like the cool guy here Who thinks that he's in control of everything And Sam is just like letting him know Like hey man like Just shut up right now And just back up And don't try to get involved but of course, Walker thinks like I'm Captain America, you know, and he's really mm-hmm. like, "Hey, everybody, you know," he, and he's he's like talking down to the Dora Milaje in sort of a patronizing way, and yeah. and I mean, he says to put down the pointy sticks and let's talk this through, and like think about like yeah. how Steve Rogers would have approached that situation. Would he have said something like that to them? Put down yeah, the pointy sticks, you know, and like condescending. Acted yeah. like such a dick No, not at all It's it's so interesting to see how his approach Is like like a the Bootleg Steve Rogers, right Like he's, he's yeah. like tries to attempt To do what he does, but he's just not That same person inside And you can't recreate Steve Rogers Even though you can recreate the super soldiers And the, the super right. serum um, And well, I think a reason for that Is He's he knows that he's not Steve Rogers, and that creates this insecurity that he can't live up to Steve Rogers and the expectations of Steve Rogers. And that insecurity creates even more of those behaviors. You know, he's acting from an insecure place. You know, Steve Rogers was never insecure, even as a little, um, you know, the little man uh, that he started out as where he wanted to go fight. You know, he was he was brave, courageous. Uh, and he thought of others before anyone. He, he was not an insecure guy. Think of him standing up to those bullies in that alley. You know, that's not the actions of an insecure guy, even though he knew he was weak. He, he had that, that courage. Walker has all these inherent gifts and he's not he doesn't feel like he's cu- courageous necessarily. He, he's got these medals of honor. But even when he talked about what they did there, he talked about it in almost like a shameful kind of a way, like yep. do, like I don't know the exact wording, but he kind of alluded to maybe that they were guilty of some war crimes. Yeah. Uh, so he's carrying all of that with him. He knows he doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the super soldier serum. Uh, so he can't live up to Steve in that way. And he also knows 
morally, ethically, he doesn't have that either because he's done, he's committed atrocities. So he's, he's coming from a very weak place, you know, internally. And then that just, that's how it expresses, you know, in, in the real world, he, he's condescending to people and he's trying to assert his authority and make sure everyone knows like he's Captain America. Remember he's screaming in that guy's face. Do you know who I am? Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect encapsulation of like his, his perspective and where he's coming from and just how insecure he is. That's that old thing of like, you know, you, you know, if you're a, uh, a movie star or something like that. And you're outside of the, the club and the doorman's not letting you in. And you're saying, do you know who I am? That's like yeah. the thing that everybody, it's a, <laughs> you made a joke of yourself at that point, exactly. you know? exactly it's such an insecure thing to do so yeah it's it's uh i think that's a really important part of his character and i think wyatt russell that's another aspect that he plays really well he uh he says the dora milaje don't have jurisdiction here but uh sam reminds him that they they're gonna do whatever they want they have jurisdiction anywhere and then io absolutely just destroys him uh i mean she is just (laughs) just like taking Walker down with ease And as she's about yeah. to kill him Bucky has yeah. to actually like Jump in and save his life And now now they're just Brutalizing Bucky I mean Sam, Walker and Hoskins And Bucky are getting their asses kicked here By the Dora Milaje yeah. Zemo is just standing around nonchalantly In the back and then he sort of like yeah. Like moonwalk Sneaks off into his room yeah. um, And closes the door And uh, we find out that Io actually knows the code to Bucky's repaired arm, and within like yeah. a few little mo- uh, movements, the, his arm falls off, and yeah. he's like, "What the hell is happening here?" Um, another one of the Dora yeah. Milaje takes Walker's shield, it, like just takes it right from him, and uh, mm-hmm. once they realize Zemo is gone, they don't even care. They give the shield back to Walker and just leave him on the ground because their real purpose is finding Zemo, and. It was like they almost they almost took it though. I yeah, I loved right. that moment with the shield because like that vibranium that's that's actually um Wakandan, you know, yes. that the, the 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 that was probably Metal. the vibranium was probably sourced from Wakanda. And there was a, a line there too, which I thought was really cool. I think Io said it to the other Dora Malaje where it was like um I forget exactly what the line was, but something it, like that. He's he's not here anymore. Basically, like I think the implication was that they were going to return that to Steve, oh, but okay. they, but no, no, just he's he's not around anymore. Just like just uh, leave it here for him. But I loved the that battle, the fight sequence there with the spears going into the walls and people getting knocked around, and the way that the Dormalaje kicked that that shield up into her um, into her. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but he kicked from the floor up to be uh, wielding it in her arm, just the way that uh, Cap did in um, in the Winter Soldier movie in that elevator at the end of the elevator scene. Very cool uh, callback to that, and uh, just one of my favorite fight scenes and action sequences of this whole series. So far. I think so too. I think this fight scene was the best. It was so good, yeah. and Walker is like laying on the floor, shaken. Zero confidence mm. he's a completely broken man As Hoskin yeah. asks if he is alright And Walker's response was like They weren't even super soldiers You know yeah. I think He can come to terms with like Losing to people that are Are you know Not real people that are roided up right. on super serum But but when he's just losing to Like he's losing to the Dora Milaje The Dora Milaje are badass But I mean 
to yeah. him, he's losing to women here, right? Like he's he's like yeah. he's not he's getting beat up by girls that aren't even uh, super like they are just regular people that he should, as Captain America, be able to to win this fight. And um, this is when Sam and uh, Bucky realize that Zemo has escaped. He has uh, pulled an El Chapo. <laughs> Is what Sam right. says as he's like escaped underneath like a secret uh, passageway under uh, under his room. So uh, Zemo's on the loose, and we see Walker and Hoskins eating. And as they're having their meal, Walker gets asked for an autograph, and Hoskins uh, asks him how long until this gets annoying. John Walker jokes that. Oh, you're just jealous. You're mad because he didn't ask you for his autograph. And Hoskins jokes back, "I've got my own little stamp." And they're they're no, they're just having a little fun here. But then things become serious um, when Walker asks his partner, "Would you take the serum?" And immediately, as quickly as Sam immediately responded, "No," this partner of Captain America responded, "Yes," yeah. which I thought was also very funny. Um, yeah, and he he said, "Hell yeah, power." Just makes a person more of themselves right You have three medals of honor You consistently made the right decisions In the heat of battle And Walker interrupts him Three badges of excellence to make sure I never forget the worst day of my life We both know The things we had to do in Afghanistan To be awarded Those medals Felt a long way from being right Being Captain America Is the first time I've had the chance To do something that feels right And uh, the, the final line of this scene Was when Hoskins says to Captain, uh, to John Walker Imagine how many lives We could have saved that day If we would have had the serum And Walker agrees This so, is great th- yeah, yeah this is um, You know This little bit I mean this is a huge 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 piece of information here Because yeah. this guy Who we saw on Good Morning America as the guy that they studied his body and he was uh, a hero and he did all these great things. Like, like you said, this guy was actually someone who may have committed war crimes and has been like given a medal or ha- and has been awarded for doing something. May- who knows? I mean, we're just speculating: killing innocent people, killing families, yeah. killing children. Um, Something like that may have impacted some of their own men dying. I know we could speculate on a bunch of different things, but he was yeah. involved with some shady shit, TK. Yeah, and it, again, it comes down to what you've been saying this whole time: means to an end. I mean, he's this, he's a soldier, right? The the end was you know defending the country, defend you know signing up to defend his country. The end was you know being awarded the 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 Medal of Honor multiple times. But what were the means? You know, what? How did he get those? What, what were the decisions he had to make, and what did he have to, you know, sacrifice, uh, or what lines did he have to cross in order to do that? Um, it, he makes it pretty clear there that he crossed some lines, his own lines. You know, um, the fact that he's reflecting on it uh, with regret about about that it, it doesn't feel good about it. It doesn't feel like a hero after doing it. So he knows deep down. That what he did was wrong. So he's he also knows that he's willing to to cross lines and and to uh, you know to do the wrong thing in order to you know 
to, to and meet he's his justifying end. the means. Yep. Yeah, the ends yep. will justify the means to him. So mm-hmm. I thought it was also kind of important too that he wasn't the one who kind of came to that decision. His conscience kind of told him to he's, do that. Yep. You know, Jiminy Cricket, his buddy, his his partner. Yeah. yeah. And so his conscience kind of fails him in this moment. Yes. Uh, by driving him, pointing him in the wrong direction because you know as he's thinking about it, he's reflecting. Uh, if it's just him reflecting, he might decide to go the other way and re- and realize, you know, what? no, we did wrong things. I shouldn't take the super soldier serum. You know, he's, he's obviously conflicted. His inclinations so, um, yeah. at the beginning when they start the conversation, he he's uh, concerned for the right reasons. John Walker, yeah. like he he's concerned about what is this going to do to me? Am I really a great person? Is this going to expedite? All of the rage and all that stuff But then when Hoskins kind of lets him know No you're a good guy Like yeah. you're a good guy yeah. He reaffirms him there That man the, the serum Think about it would have helped It wouldn't have hurt You wouldn't have hurt anybody else You would have only helped them And so he yeah. he very much makes John think like That this is the right thing to do Is, is to take yeah. this And um, yeah. in, in, in that way It kind of makes us kind of forgive Walker a little bit, you know, it takes yes, a little bit of that blame off of him. So as an audience member, we can empathize with him that much more and and kind of put ourselves in his shoes and go, yeah, he's doing the wrong thing. But, you know, I might have done the same exact thing if I was in and those exact shoes. So every character in this show, uh, in this particular series, too, they've done a great job of making you empathize with all of them. Even if they're bad people, even if they're bad and they're doing bad things, but like everyone, like Carly, you feel for her. You feel for Zemo, who, who, like you said, you sort of respect his his goal and, and his mission. You feel for someone like Sharon, who's completely displaced. You obviously feel for Bucky and what he's been through, for Sam and what he's been through. I mean, you feel for like even even the people who are supposed to be bad, like Walker. You feel for this guy because it at the. At the center of it all, he doesn't want to be a bad guy. He he wants right. to be a good guy. And Hoskins yeah. actually feels like a lot of the time he is a really good guy. Like yeah. he he tries to tell him, you know, back off, let Sam have a little more time. He tries, like you said, he's like his conscience. And this is one of those times where he one of the one of the few times that we've seen um Hoskins sort of steer him wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can't blame him too. Like, no. like if you look at Hoskins, like why would he Think poorly of his, you know, longtime friend who's, you know, you look at Hoskins. Hoskins is being loyal in that moment. He's being supportive yep. in that moment. You know, he's being a, a good friend, but he doesn't know the depths of necessarily what's going on inside John Walker. It's and your all buddy of that, that torment. you, you, can't you predict, grew up with you know, from high school. Like he, he yeah. was his high school like hero, the best, like the homecoming king, right? The the captain of the yeah. football team, like this guy who I'm sure. Walker has kicked people's asses who, you know, probably uh, gotten in a fight with Hoskins through the years, right? Like, this dude yeah. has probably been his best buddy, stood up for him, like, saved him a few times. But how crazy is it that Sam has been through what, I mean, up until this show, there's like a decade of Sam and, and Captain America together. As Sam, like, as mm-hmm. Captain America's partner in all these movies and iterations, and Sam's still here. He was in all of those battles with him, all of those fights against all of the evil uh, villains. Yet, after being Captain America for just how long? Like a few months? Hoskins is, and yeah. we're going to find out in just a second, he's not going to be around anymore. Like, yeah. so what a terrible Captain America. We're the whole time where he's telling Bucky, 
You got to save your partner. You got to look in the mirror right here because your partner is now dead. Um, yeah. Just, just crazy. As uh, Carly then calls Sarah, Sam's sister, and she talks to Sarah and asks, "Is Sam working right. with Captain America?" Uh, Sarah tells Carly that she doesn't believe in Captain America. Sam is not working with him. Uh, but Carly tells Sarah, pass along the message to Sam, and then Carly threatens Sarah and her kids, which yeah. is, which is not, you know, Sam is not happy about this at all. He gets a phone call from her. He tells Sarah to take the boys to leave, go somewhere safe. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. So Carly is now, she's, you know, doing the manipulating herself. She's trying to pull some strings here. She, her plan is to separate Captain America, John Walker from Sam so that way she can try to kill Captain America. So she wants to kind of set Sam up to be somewhere else that way they can go get Captain America. Yeah, and the the plan I guess makes sense from her perspective, but when we see her make that threat, it's really it really is a turning point, I think. I do too. Um because where we last kind of find her uh she's on that fence, right? She's on that fence and Sam's just about to pull her, you know, back into, you know, uh, the good side for yeah. for lack of a better word. And then because of the misunderstanding and everything, she's she's immediately thinks, okay, you're bad. I'm good. She gets further entrenched in her own position. But then she takes that extra step and we get to see it on screen where she's literally threatening someone's family and children. And that is just something as audience members, I don't think like – we we come really back from yeah. You know, whenever it, you start to threaten uh, like ch- children, that's just yes. universally kind of one of those. Sarah's things. got nothing to do with this. She's not involved yeah. in any way, shape, or form. In fact, throughout the conversation they have, she realizes, like Carly realizes, like uh, w- like during the conversation she had with Sam, that she actually has a lot in common with Sarah, and, and that they yeah. have like common beliefs. But uh, I agree with you. There are. Uh, she and like both Carly and John Walker throughout this episode sort of feel like they have their Joker moments to me where they just kind of yeah. go. It's like the Breaking Bad and they just can't go back to it anymore. You're Walter White where you're, mm-hmm. you've killed people now. You've poisoned kids, yeah. right? Like you can't go back to being the guy that we, we, we wanted to root for, you know, the Robin Hood kind yeah. of character anymore. It's just I, I agree with you. It felt like this was sort of that moment for her. And uh, yeah, Sam kind of past past the point of redeemability. Yep, yep. So Sam yeah. gets in contact with her. Um, she wants to meet with him, and so Sam shows up, and he's not messing around anymore. He's in Falcon gear. Bucky is with him, and Carly says, "I don't want to hurt you. You're just a tool in the regimes I'm trying to destroy. You're not hiding behind a shield. If I were to kill you, it would be meaningless." Wow, like yeah. what an evil thing to say too. Just like. Your life is meaningless. I would kill you and nobody yeah. would even care. It wouldn't even mean anything. Like, what a, like, wow. Even just a few moments ago, she was talking about how she'd kill people because it would, it would help her um, get her mission across. And now she's, she's sort of like referencing his life as meaningless. Like you said, the difference in, in how we're seeing her kind of crack and unravel throughout this episode and become like real, real villain here. She, right. um, that's she what a said, terrorist does, right? A yeah. terrorist. Kind of like inflicts death to send a message, and that's kind of what she was getting at. Then, like your death would be meaningless. Like Captain America's death would send a message. Yeah. So that that's, it also cements her kind of as this terrorist figure. 
which we've really already seen her as, but it, it she becomes that that much more irredeemable, like we were saying before. So Sharon Carter um, calls up Sam because she's been helping them out and she's been watching Walker. And she has found Walker So that's where Sam and Bucky go after him And uh, Walker and Hoskins They're looking for Carly So we got this whole big like Sam and Bucky are looking for Walker Walker's trying to find Carly Carly's kind of trying to uh, also find find Walker And he, he John Walker's confidence is completely shaken at this time mm. And the Flag Smashers have now taken a hold of Lamar and so as Walker is trying to find him He gets attacked By more Flag Smashers uh, I think there's a moment that I, I, I Kind of skipped over there Where uh, Hoskins is Is going upstairs and Walker Tells him not to And right. he he doesn't listen And Hoskins just goes And um, so he's kind of like Disobeying the order from Captain America um, Which is something that we would have Never seen like Sam or or Bucky do you know they're always like what the right. plan whatever whatever Steve and Cap says and and that's what has helped save them because they've always gone along with Cap's plan and by not going along with John's plan uh, Hoskins ends up dead uh, shortly mm. but we yeah. yeah we see that Walker has thrown the shield into a wall and it sticks. And that's sort yeah. of the sign when somebody is able to have that kind of power, like we saw with Isaiah, um, when somebody can throw something in it through a wall into a wall and make that kind of uh, damage, we are led to believe that they've taken the serum. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was a very smart way of kind of uh, illustrating that. And I love that uh, you you m- mentioned the Isaiah thing because just visually they kind of primed us for that moment to make yeah. that connection. And, the show does that sort of thing so well So Sam arrives and he sees Walker Fighting off these flag smashers With ease remember they're super Soldiers how is Walker able to fight To fight them back fight them off easily And then yeah. he's like Bending metal um, Right Like bending steel Like another Superman sort of like a reference Man yeah. of steel there and yeah. Sam says to him What did you do Walker doesn't really care He just says they've got Lamar So we know He's taking the serum now Sam's seen it We speculated for the first few episodes Maybe this is a guy who's just talented But has not taken it Um, He had not taken it yet He has now taken it And um, he is Super soldier Captain America John Walker here and I think he's a little more twitchy at this point. I could be wrong, but I yes. think it, oh, at this absolutely. point there's a heightened sense of that. Like he was doing that earlier in the episode, it, it, all the episodes really. He had a little bit of a twitchiness that was coming and manifesting more and more. But yes, at this point, it's amplified, just like you know had been kind of previously described about how the, the serum amplifies what's already there. Yeah, he's just very um, like. Like like having like a nervous breakdown Kind of a thing right like he's just yeah. like he's looking All over like you said and it's just amplifying This and Lamar is tied up uh, he, he's kind Of handcuffed I think they, they've like zip tied his hands Together he's able to use yeah. a knife To cut his way through And uh, we see Bucky in a really cool fight scene He's just blasting one of the flag smashers Through a wall yeah. um, With a kick um, Walker and Falcon are fighting their way to Hoskins uh Sam looks really good in, in some of these fight scenes too He's holding his own with some of the super soldiers Definitely. here And yeah. so he's like 
his fighting is better than we just saw a little while ago. You know, I think there's there's stories they're really telling with like the growth that Sam is having as a character mentally, mm-hmm. physically. Like he's kind of growing into that um that Captain America shield, Steve Rogers, like the yeah. it, it hard to like live up and, and fill his shoes, but he's kind of like starting to fill those shoes a little bit, you know? Um definitely. And coming into his own for sure as a hero. Yeah, yeah. Um Carly shows up and she punches walk uh, she punches Hoskins who has now escaped into a wall through like a column and he's dead. Yeah, like, this moment. Wow. And as Walker like looks at him and like notices and really realizes that his best friend, his partner is has been killed. Walker he's enraged. The flag smashers run off, Carly runs off. And he jumps out the window of the second story yeah. right through the glass. Remember how Steve Rogers would go up into buildings? Yes, yes. He would do yes. the opposite. And uh, yeah. I read somewhere that that uh, someone had said, which which I thought was great, that this was like the descent of his character. Yep. You know, yeah, which absolutely. was just like I, I think goosebumps saw, thinking about that. You know, I, I saw that same description and I thought that was so apt. Uh, yeah. And so great because visually it really matched, but it was the exact inverse of it. And that's, that's really what the character's been. You know, I described that bizarro Captain America and that's it, uh, just another way they kind of manifested that just visually the, the, these, these trademark moves and things that he'll do, but just reversed. So like that was visually very cool. And also it really captured just in the moment, the ferocity and rage that was going through him. I mean, uh, I, even part of me, it was so like badass and and crazy that I, I almost wanted to see him enact his revenge and his rage at yeah, that moment. Yeah, yeah. Because, because I mean, a, he's got a, like his his buddy just got killed, right? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's got a reason to be upset, but this is this is what differentiates um, someone like Steve Rogers from a normal person who would have. Responded this way you or I something like this Happens to me someone that I love I'm gonna die I'm John Walker You know what I mean like right I, I don't I don't have That's like the level head on my shoulders like I think a lot of people would respond the same way that He does so that's why you can also relate To him like dude your best friend from High school that's like your guy just got killed Of course you're gonna want to and now you've Got this power raging through you where You can literally kill people Like right at your fingertips Um, yeah. This was like powerful very emotional as Walker chases the uh, Nico was his name that we found out right the flag smasher mm-hmm. um, yes, he chases Nico through the through like some of the town and Nico the guy who was the fan of Captain America and as Walker catches him he screams at him where is she and he starts to brutally beat Nico with this shield he says. Mm-hmm. It wasn't me, but he repeatedly uses this shield. And I mean, this is broad daylight out in the open in the middle of the town square of like yeah. this this area in Latvia. And there are hundreds of people all around, all watching. They've got their phones out, filming it on their camera phones. And the whole world is watching. That's the, the name of the, the name of the, the episode. episode. Yeah, the, they were yeah. all watching, and he just Tim like so aggressively continues to brutalize him with the shield as he yeah. Captain America John Walker goes after Nico over and over and over to the point where he's killed him. He yeah. murdered 
This guy on the ground Cold-blooded murder Middle of the day in public People all standing around watching And Sam and Bucky show up They realize they were too late And as Walker looks around The Captain America shield Is covered in blood Um, And that's the last Vision image Uh we see Before the credits start And I mean We don't see this all that much In Marvel or Star Wars kind of You know people were were surprised At some of the Mandalorian stuff this year On Disney Plus like some of the Bubba Fett You know uh, hand to hand combat where he's Blasting people and and their helmets Are busting open this reminded me A little of that in that I don't think People uh, us Marvel fans Were expecting something this gory This bloody I think we all thought John Walker was going to snap But it would be a lot more of like an Off camera snap than it was Wow yeah so uh, specifically to that, I mean, yeah, it's Disney, right? So we're not expecting a whole lot of violence uh, or, or gore at all. We're really not expecting any gore. And I thought that the way that they shot this uh, and edited it was so well done. Um, I don't want to be cliche here and bring up Psycho, but that shower scene in Psycho where, yes. you know, in your mind, you're, 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 you're seeing her get stabbed in the shower and the blood and the, the, the imagery of the blood on the, in the shower drain is so iconic. And the imagery of that, that knife up in the air is so iconic. And this very much was done in a similar way. Obviously it's a totally different environment, different people, characters, uh, weapon being used, but the way that it, it was just a close up on the, the, his face, the uh, Nico's face reacting as it's then covered by the shield uh, the, the the image of just the blood on the shield. I mean, we never actually see any of the impacts of these hits, but we feel yeah. them. We understand right. them. And they do feel – it feels gory. But if you were to go frame by frame, you really don't see a whole lot. You no. see an image of a bloody you hand. You see him but swinging. It, you see him yeah, swinging, it, but ne- never mm-hmm. really, like, striking the guy's head or neck. Yeah. And then that final image – I mean, all that whole sequence is – burned into my brain but that final image that low angle as cap is holding the shield and that shield that underside is just covered in bl- that splatter of blood that is burned into my brain more than almost any image from the mcu period and i up until you know i don't know about three quarters of the way through this episode i was having my issues with it i kind of alluded to that earlier some of it felt a little TV to me. Some of the interactions, uh, particularly there was that scene where Sharon was on the phone. I felt like the dialogue there felt a little bit like too quippy, too TV to me, sure. all exposition. Um, but that was kind of erased by moments like this in, in the yeah. show. Um, yeah. it, they really did something there. And I mean, I think anybody who watches this episode as a fan of the MCU or even a new fan – uh, they're going to walk away uh, with that moment kind of imprinted on them. That's going to that's that's a lasting image. And I think that the the like repercussions and the reverberations of that moment are going to play out in the MCU and especially this series uh, uh, until the end. It's going to be such an I- iconic and important moment. It's going to be referenced uh, like the S- Sokovia yeah. Accords and some of the bomb. You yeah. know what I mean? Like they're going to reference the the moment with the blood on the shield. Like I, I can see it movies five years from now, you know, like you said, mm-hmm. like all the fallout from this and how things have had to change because of yeah. what happened. Um, and you, the, you know, you look around, it's like he doesn't really even 
I, I don't even know if he really realizes what he did, Walker, at that moment. Right. Right. Like right. he's almost like yeah. so he's happy drunk. that he got yeah, drunk with the power. Right. Like, yeah. like happy Man, that he rich. got his revenge that yeah. uh, like he feels satisfied, not realizing that, dude, you just murdered somebody with the Captain right. America shield and everybody's right. watching you. And the guy, the guy like screamed. He, he, he was, it wasn't like a fight. He wasn't shooting at you. You chased this guy who was not trying to fight you and, right. and said, I didn't do it. Like he surrendered and you still went after him. Yeah, so the optics for everybody are like as bad as can be. They don't even have the background of like that we do watching that watching you know his partner mm-hmm. just die right in front of his best friend just died. So we have that context, and we the still whole world does know not have that gross. context. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then I mentioned it earlier, and I I have to give credit to one of the many blogs that I read about this, but pointing out that there was blood coming out of his ear after that fight. I think that's significant too. what we know about head trauma, CTE. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stories there with how that manifests in violent aggression and inability to control your uh, aggressive impulses. And you're right. I think in that moment where, you know, we're seeing him in the afterglow of that, you know, just awful violent moment, he hasn't really come down to earth yet. He's still in that moment where, I don't know. I think we've all probably been there where we've lost our temper about something. Mm-hmm. We did something in anger that we, we regret. In the middle of that action, you kind of feel justified. You, don't, you might even know you're doing something wrong on a set. Uh, for, uh, a part of you does, but you, you, you kind of like push through that and you, you justify. Then when the adrenaline comes down, yes. you're left with that like oh, shit. That I do? shame, that yeah. guilt, that all that stuff collapses around you. And I, I think like, in that moment, <laughs> we've all been there, right? We've all been there, right? But then when, you know, he's, he's, he's seeing everybody with the cameras, I think we're, 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 where we leave off in the series there and the show is that moment like right before he actually comes down. He's still in that afterglow where he's just like, it's the, the anger and the rage is pulsing through him. And he hasn't had that realization of like, Oh my God, what have I done? You know, he doesn't even, and he's going to be dealing with the repercussions of this. I mean, realistically, you got to think he's going to be stripped of that title of Captain America. Maybe that's, maybe that's how he's going to become us agent that his, you know, character from the comics, which is that that's what happened in the comics with him. Um, Yeah. And in the the comics with that was sort of like, was sort of like this and that he came, he became Captain America and then it was sort of mm-hmm. like too much for him, like the weight of being yeah. Captain America. But then he was still someone that didn't he wasn't like an evil character. Right. I think he was still someone that they could could use for help, like, you know, like someone that they use like a Zemo, like a like even like right. w- what we assume that um, Agatha Harkness is going to be right. right. Like, like right. kind of right. like someone that that's sort of like bad, Loki. but they exactly they, they'll put him on ice for later. You know, mm-hmm. and like we'll we'll revisit we'll we'll reconnect with him at some point in a year or two at, at some movie or show where they need somebody's help. He yeah. may be a guy. And that's always goes. fun. That's yeah. that's always fun to see that redemption arc. You know, you know, it, yes. especially when they paint you, a character into a corner where, you know, we're all going like they're irredeemable. Like I described um, Carly earlier, like saying she's irredeemable. Realistically, we know this is storytelling. She's not really irredeemable. Like no. that would be really interesting to next year see her. Redeem herself. That's even more interesting to see an irredeemable character become redeemable. 
So yeah, I, I definitely see all that in the cards for for John Walker, and I just think that that this moment really creates like a, it's a great catalyst point for so much to explore with his character and the and the world around this. It. This episode, episodes three and four, really pick things up. I believe I yeah. read that the uh, the fifth episode now is going to be close to an hour. Um, so we'll we'll get even a little bit longer wow. um, episode here. Um, th- this is this is great, and I, I just I, I left with my jaw dropped when it yeah. stopped. Like yeah. I I could not, like you said, that image of the blood on the Captain America shield, the shield that was supposed to stand for everything and be such a a symbol of. Yeah. Uh, like what everyone says, you know, a symbol of this era and of the the like of a of a good guy. And oh man, it was yeah. it was it was goosebumps, and it felt like you know so many great things through this episode. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. that that lasting image, the 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 Zemo arc, him continuing to sort of manipulate yeah. everyone, and then feeling like Sam a lot more in this episode than in the first three was. I don't want to say embracing, but Maybe mm-hmm. coming to terms with the fact that he might be the best solution right now for a Captain America. Right. Yeah. To see, he's starting to see in himself. Maybe, maybe not even consciously yet, but he's yes. stepping into this role that that Steve saw. You know how mm-hmm. you keep saying Steve had a plan. I guess Steve could make a plan because you know he could see things really well in a way. You know, right? Yep. He could see ahead. Um, he had super sight, I suppose you could say. But like uh, he could see in Sam. What Sam couldn't even see in himself And that I think that's part of this whole journey Here for his character Is is f- seeing what Steve saw in him so that he can finally Embrace that role which is kind of His destiny similarly You've got uh, Bucky Who needs to kind of forgive himself And also take on that Role in his, his own way maybe not as Officially Captain America but to just To get past that these doubts That he has in himself and to to finally see himself for the hero that uh, he always was. Gosh, we uh, are just like uh, with WandaVision. As the episodes uh, get deeper into the season, our recaps are getting longer and longer because we have so much more to <laughs> talk about. It's just like we now know how everything, like all the information that we get, sort of we can look back on what happened in episode mm-hmm. one, two, three, and 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 make a lot more sense of everything. And yeah, yeah th- this was great. I'm so Interested in just the final two episodes Like what's going to happen with yeah. Walker Like are we going to get one of these guys Is, it, is Sam going to be the new Captain America um, What happens with, with Bucky what goes on with him like Zemo On his arc to try to catch Carly They're Sharon yeah. Carter like what's going What's going on with her is she the yeah. power broker How is she related we have a lot right. of questions To ask and I yeah. um, I know they're going to all be um, Answered in the next two because they do a great job. It just it feels like wow, two episodes. We've got a lot of things that we got to uh, that we got to start, start dotting some eyes and crossing some T's. But but I trust so true. the MCU because yeah. every time we feel like uh oh, just like you said, parts in this episode where you're kind of going the way they wrap it up puts such a nice yeah. neat bow on everything that um I- I'm so excited where we have I guess about probably uh like 120 110 to 120 minutes left or so of uh right. of uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier so uh I think we got through most of it anything else you want to mention before we uh, sign off TK just X-Men are the X-Men coming in here I don't know that's still right. in the back of my mind I'm, I'm I'm wondering I don't have any expectations anymore I think WandaVision kind of purged me of that you know the the whole is it Mephisto all these questions that we had about you know outside connections 
I'm not really expecting anymore, but in the back of my mind, I'm still kind of maybe hoping that they're going to drop an Easter egg or bring in a mutant here or there. Uh, specifically, I've been thinking a lot about John Walker and how I brought this up last week about how, oh, maybe he had already taken the super soldier serum uh, and that they were just kind of keeping that from us in the story up until this point. Well, now we know for a fact that he definitely wasn't enhanced beforehand, but is it possible that he was uh, a mutant and we just didn't have a word for that yet? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious about that because, you know, that was honestly when I mentioned complaints, logically, I, I, I kind of couldn't get past that once they made that clear that he was not enhanced. Then I'm all of a sudden thinking, well, why, how is he so special? What's the justification for that in this world? Are we just assuming that there's just like some natural Ubermensch out, out here and right? just, he's yeah. just an outlier? Even, even the, I, the, I the can, S.H.I.E.L.D. training yeah. video, right? The, the, the one that they show yeah. on Good Morning America. That's the one that stands out to people. Like, how is he so good with the S.H.I.E.L.D., like, throwing it exactly right. like how Steve did? And it's not – it's something I, – I can accept that if you're just telling me in this world, yeah, there was a natural human being that's that strong and, and agile and whatever, and that's, that's just the fiction of this world and just accept it, you know, uh, suspend your disbelief. I'm okay with that, but – it really helps. It, it's this uh, a spoonful of sugar helps that medicine go down. If there's you just need to be some, cold. just be, like, yeah, there one just line. needs to be some some yeah. type of uh, logic to it yep. that kind of a, a reason for it. Even if you just say it, it, I, it, he he's a mutant or so, something yeah. like that. I I want some kind of a reason for it, just as a as a a viewer. But that's that's a small uh, quibble, I suppose. Yeah, when we get we to the end of the episode, I'm kind of forgetting about that. Yeah, I completely agree. It's like, it's a lot of it for me as a wrestling fan, too. It's like, uh, all you have to do sometimes, you're, I, I'm believing that this wrestling stuff is real, right? Like, I'm believing this. All right. you have to do is come out and give me a one line to tell me, like, what the motivation is. To tell me, yeah, like, why yeah. I'm supposed to really, like, suspend my disbelief even more and buy into your world. As fans, it doesn't take a lot. We just need to be, we don't want to be treated really stupid. Right, like yeah, we don't yeah. want to. It, it could be anything. It could be yeah. magic. It could be. But as long as there's something that kind of like gives us a reason that's oh, oh it's not like because everything else is like our, the real world. Everything else is kind of a, like a reflection of the real world. And then they introduce you know special technologies or like some magic or something like that. And those are okay. That's our reason that we can just go. Oh, okay. It's because of magic. Yep. It's because of this tech that Tony Stark created. One of their missions, that. right? One of their missions in Afghanistan. The guy got caught yeah. in some radiation. You know, like boom, something exactly. like that. Like very, very simple. Not, not oh a lot. Gosh, yeah. Right? Like is, is, that was like Iron Man. I, I love that. You know? I love like, that idea. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I hope they go with that. Actually, it, it, it's, it's sort of like what Iron Man happened at the beginning. You know what yeah. I mean? Like to, so. 100%. Man, Tim, I've had so much fun talking WandaVision with Me you, too. and now four episodes into Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we got the low key trailer uh, last week, yeah. which looks so much fun, and Owen Wilson. About that one. Oh man, yeah. Owen Wilson's character seems great. Like, um, I'm fascinated by that coming up. We've got uh, Black Widow in a little bit, which is also going to be yeah. really interesting because that movie is going to be be set in a time period between what, like, Endgame and uh, like between two of the like the more the, like the later. I think was it like I Age of earlier. Ultron Endgame I or think earlier than Endgame. Even, yeah, like Age of Ultron and um, uh, Infinity War, maybe you know, like maybe in between yeah. there was in between two. And right, I think it's in between those. That that kind of yeah. makes sense to me. Or maybe in between Civil War and that. Yeah, and so we're gonna have like her on the run, but this is a character that we know eventually will die. 
So that's what makes that a little bit right. fascinating too. Yeah. Um, different than some of the other uh, stories. Like we will get looks at, I guess we can call them prequels or, you know, of, of other stories. But a lot of times those characters are still alive. We're getting a look at their earlier part of their life. It's one, it's, yeah. it's a little different when you know um, what her inevitable fate is going to be. So um, yeah. really, really excited about like, you know, after this, like we said, we've got, Loki coming up. We've got uh, Black Widow coming up, and then end of the year uh, Spider Man. So a lot yeah. still happening here in the MCU. TK, buddy, thank you so much. Give us your plugs thank out you. there: Facebook, Instagram, and Ice Cream Fire. You got it. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Tim is not funny, and you can listen to my music project Ice Cream Fire on Spotify, SoundCloud, pretty much anywhere you stream music. TK, buddy, well, next week we'll be uh, really like. Setting the scene for the final episode We're going to make all of our predictions and stuff For how this uh, this season and this series Will conclude and I, I'm pumped I'm, I'm, I'm so intrigued And uh, there's so many characters That I'm really really all in on now I, like, I'm, I'm all yeah. in with Bucky all in with with uh with Sam, all in with Zemo, Sharon, like just even and even John Walker, like I'm all in and finding out what happens to him and his story because I thought they did a great job of making us see this like completely um unhinged Captain America. Yeah. I'll be honest, it's the most compelling aspect of the story for me right now. Yeah. Uh that part. So uh, yeah. I, I can't wait to see what's going on. We're in the home stretch and uh I, I just can't wait to see how, how they finish this thing. It's it's in a really good spot right now. And uh, they've, they've created some very exciting stakes and uh, still a few answers uh, that we're looking for. So really excited to talk through those with you the next few weeks. A couple more episodes left of The Falcon and The Winter Soldier, and you will get full of recaps, reviews here, scene by scene, all the important quotes, information, things that made us laugh, things that we may have disliked. Tim Kelly helping me out every week here with our MCU recap and reviews on That's What G Said. Just two more episodes left of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and we will talk all about those here on That's What G Said with Tim Kelly. We're going to talk all about Cindy Carava at CindyCarava.com. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. And she is a full-service realtor. That means she can help you out in many different ways. So we're talking about selling Purchasing, leasing. She can just help you find vendors like handymen, painters, landscapers, gardeners that she's used in her own home. She can connect you to those people. If you need help getting pre approved for a home loan, she'll help hook you up with the people that she works closely with and can highly recommend. And she covers all parts of the San Gabriel Valley, North San Diego County, Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho Santa Fe. But if you're anywhere else and maybe you're not in Southern California, if you're in a different state, she can still help you out. She knows people all over the place and that she trusts. And so if you need help moving and with any of these things that we're talking about, contact Cindy. She'll give you someone that you can really, really trust because moving is one of the most stressful events in life and everything that goes into that process, the relocating, all the different factors that you have to worry about. She's going to make your life so much easier. Heck, she can even just do a free market analysis of your home's value if you want to see how much your home is worth. You can find her on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. If you head to my YouTube, you can see an interview that we did with Cindy or you can hear an interview with her last week on That's What G Said and that website C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. You can find all the contact information there, everything you need to know, all about her new listings, 
um, any way to get in contact with Cindy, make sure to let her know that Gino sent you. She is the nicest, sweetest person you'll ever meet. She's going to work hard for you. You can really trust Cindy Carava. Let's get into the uh, final topic on this episode, and we're going to talk about WrestleMania and the couple nights of WrestleMania, as well as Monday Night Raw, and later in the week we'll have Chad Cooper on to talk more about it with This Week in Wrestling, and we'll talk NXT and AEW there as well, but with WrestleMania, sort of a tale of uh, of sort of like a microcosm of what WWE is like right now. Um, just very inconsistent. I thought WrestleMania Night 1 was really good. I thought WrestleMania Night 2 was also good, just slightly uh, not quite as good as Night 1. And then Monday Night Raw, you have uh, the fans kind of excited and rejuvenated coming off of a couple good nights of WrestleMania. Uh, as fans, we were all excited to see some of the fans back in, in the arena at WrestleMania. And then on Monday Night Raw, there are no fans there. And uh, the Monday Night Raw episode was just terrible. Gotta be honest, it was really bad. And we're gonna get into all of it. Let's start with night one of WrestleMania. And we kicked off the the evening with a rain delay at WrestleMania. Could, could you believe this? There was actually a rain delay at WrestleMania. They actually began with Vince McMahon on the stage. And Vince said, you know, the, for the past year they've been performing without the fans. And that they were, you know, very happy to have the fans back. Something important. That was you. And Vince did the welcome to WrestleMania. And uh, we got the America the Beautiful. And we got the cold open there uh, to start where it was the the Captain Jack Sparrow voice, all the pirate ship theme and everything going on. Then Michael Cole has to let us know that there's a weather delay. And there's a threat of storms coming again. So we get a delay. So what ends up happening is... We get these really cool raw promos from everybody in the back because you know Vince and, and the entire production staff is probably freaking out trying to figure what to do to stall. They got a, a you know a bunch of people in the crowd that are having to kind of go in and out, and this is the first time people are back in the crowd in over a year. So I'm sure it was really hectic backstage, but you you were able to to see some really natural, raw, uncut promos, not a lot of the scripted type stuff that we see on a week-to-week basis because they weren't expecting to do this. You know, Bobby Lashley uh, is, is shows up. Shane McMahon's interviewed for a moment. Um, Drew McIntyre uh, jumps in the mix, and he's really excited, but he's emotional. He's kind of all over the place. You get them going back to the, the folks from the kickoff show, Braxton, uh, JBL, and Rosenberg. Then New Day uh, with Kofi and Xavier. Uh, We actually get Big E showing up to talk for a a few moments there. I mean, they just had to kill all this time. Braun Strowman gets interviewed backstage. Kevin Owens cuts a really fun promo. And then you can hear there's like sound issues going on in the back. And Kevin Owens is just totally like a pro. Doesn't even act like anything's happening. We get to, to Michael Cole and Samoa Joe. They're in raincoat jackets um, over their suits. And they said that the the show is going to start in about five minutes. We get an interview with Bianca Belair. And we get Seth Rollins getting interviewed. Miz and Morrison backstage. And uh, then we get the video package to start. Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre is going to be uh, the opening match. But 
we actually have Titus O'Neil and Hulk Hogan come out first, and and they didn't really do much, honestly. They showed up, I think, like twice each night. They had very basic, generic nothings. Uh, we saw them dressed up like pirates on night two, because Buccaneer Stadium there, but and the, this was nothing. Hulk Hogan got booed because fans are not really happy with Hulk Hogan as of late. He never apologized for some of the the really awful things that he's said and done. Um, and I think a lot of these fans that are a little bit smarter now, uh, they just don't get the nostalgia for him, who has not come off as a great guy, uh, you know, in, in his later years. The Drew Lashley match starts about 8:45 Eastern. So, just to give you an idea, they had to kill, you know, probably 35 to 40 minutes. They probably would have started, you know. 10 minutes into a show, 15 minutes into a show normally. So, um, this was a good match to start. It was really good. I think it was pretty surprising. I, myself, and a lot of people thought Drew McIntyre uh, was was going to get rewarded for the good work he did last year. And I don't think the result is... I have no problem with it. Bobby Lashley was hot. I, I, I don't think they realized how over he was going to be. People were really behind him. Um... Just uh, the groundswell, and he was doing a good job as champion. So, fine to have Bobby Lashley continue on here. This match was like 18 minutes and 20 seconds. I think this was in like the high three to low four star range. I'd say like three and a half plus. I'd probably put it closer to four uh, myself. And I thought they both did really, really well. The ending of the match was uh, Drew was like distracted by MVP but it MVP didn't really get involved he just distracted him uh, Drew ended up getting locked in the hurt lock and he did not tap out he just faded and at 1820 the ref called the match fans booed but uh, a very solid opening the first time fans have been back in over a year and Bobby Lashley wins he gets his big WrestleMania moment there as Drew McIntyre passes out Match two on the night was the tag team turmoil match, the women's tag team turmoil match. Um, before that, we got Bailey appearing backstage. She had a running uh, gimmick over the couple days where she was trying to be a uh, a host along with Titus and with Hogan, so she kept interfering in some of their segments and sort of trying to to tag along. The women's tag mat turmoil match was not much. I mean, each of these matches were just like a few minutes, and it was just a thing to get a lot of different ladies on the card. You had Naomi, Naomi and Lana versus Carmella and Billy Kay. Uh, Naomi and Lana got eliminated. Then you had Carmella and Billy Kay eliminated by Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan. Then you had uh, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke eliminated, and uh, you had. Uh, Natty and Tamina get in the mix. They eliminated Ruby and Liv, so Natty and Tamina end up winning the match. Overall, it went just over 14 minutes, so they end up getting that match on night two at WrestleMania against uh, Nia and Shayna. Third match of the night was one of my favorites of the weekend. If it would have gone four or five minutes longer, I thought it would have been able to really jump up Towards a, uh, this wasn't a five star match, but it was a, a four star match, and it was 11 minutes and 35 seconds. They did not stop. Seth Rollins versus Cesaro loved, loved everything about this. Cesaro got the big swing at the end uh, for 23 rotations. He hit their neutralizer for the win, and it only went like 11 minutes and 40 seconds here, but crowd was into it. I thought this was at least a four star match, and the only reason why it wasn't, uh, Closer to a five, and it was maybe like a four and a half, four 
4.25 type is that it was only 11 and a half, 11.40. But these guys had great chemistry. Rollins did this really great corkscrew sort of thing. They had some very innovative, uh, innovative offense, things that we haven't really seen from, from Seth in a while. This was great. Uh, one of my favorite matches of the weekend, and, and probably one that maybe isn't wasn't the best, but one that I'll end up going and rewatching quite a bit because it's short, it's fun. Uh, check this one out if you haven't. Cesaro, Seth Rollins, Cesaro gets the win in uh, just over eleven, like like eleven thirty five ish. We saw uh, Ziggler and Rude interviewed backstage. We just got a a look at them. And the tag titles. They talked a little bit about the New Day match coming up with uh, AJ and Olmos. Uh, Big E did the New Day introduction for them, for his buddies. And we saw Omos, who is going to be making his in-ring debut. Seven foot three, Omos. This match was fine. Uh, it went just under 10 minutes, like 9 minutes and 45 seconds. AJ Styles and Omos win the tag team titles. The issue that I had with it... and. It's only a small issue. It's the, the it sort of seemed backwards, right? Like the booking, like AJ and Omos are the the heel tag team, yet everybody wants to see Omos get in the ring. So Kofi and Xavier are basically keeping you from what you want to see. They're playing the heel kind of in trying to like cut the ring off and not let AJ make the tag and and you know try to make it a two on one. So everything they were doing was sort of like old school heel tag while. You know, Omos is like the the babyface waiting for the uh, the hot tag. He looked fine once he got in. He, I mean, he was super impressive. He was like no selling a lot of their uh, offense. He uh, big time choke slam, and he used the one footed pin uh, to get the victory there over Kofi. So AJ and Omos. Your new tag team titles. It was fine. It was more more about the story. I probably had it in like the two and a half ish range um, there for a match that was uh, just under ten minutes. We got uh, Omos putting AJ on his shoulders, and we then saw Sasha backstage getting ready for the main event. We saw we get ready for uh, the steel cage, and Shane McMahon comes out, and then Braun Strowman. Um, Elias and uh, and Riker end up attacking Strowman early on, so they get involved and we get the steel cage match: Braun Strowman versus Shane McMahon, which had a horrible build. But I, I gotta say, I was not expecting much from this match at all. This was about as good as they could have expect they could have done. This thing went, you know, eleven twenty five. Probably could have cut off two minutes of it, but you got a couple big spots from Shane, who hit the coast to coast, and Riker and Elias kept trying to get involved. There was a, a a part where it looked like Shane was going to win, and Strowman rips off part of the cage, grabs Shane, tosses him back in the ring, and then Shane he he lifts Shane up at the top of the cage, and Shane takes a pretty big bump there. It was not yeah, it wasn't bad. I think uh, I think it was like eleven and a half ish or so, and it yeah, I mean the 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 build was awful to this was just awful so. I'm glad that this is what we got. I was nervous that um, the debut that we saw for with Dabakato debuting on on night two, I thought we were going to get something like this here. 
and that was going to keep this storyline going. I'm glad this is done with. So Braun got the win, and uh, and he can move on there. We got a couple spots from Shane. It's just this was a horrible version of Shane that we saw playing this this heel character, calling Braun stupid repeatedly. So we then saw the Hall of Fame class come out. Uh, Bailey showed up with, to have a moment with them. Um, JBL, Shatner, Bella Twins. Thunder Liger, uh, Titus O'Neil, British Bulldog, and uh, the NWO, and so we we saw a fan, uh, the uh, twenty twenty class on Saturday, twenty twenty one class on Sunday. The next up was a uh, Priest and Bad Bunny versus the Miz and Morrison, and we got a bunch of bunnies out there like. I don't know, 10, 15 bunny costume people all over the place. Uh, then we get the video package for the buildup. And here comes Bad Bunny after Damian Priest comes out. Bad Bunny, uh, he makes his entrance on the top of a big black truck, driven into the back part of the stadium. And Pyro goes off. And the crowd liked Bunny here. And he starts this match. And. This is on level with the best celebrity matches in the history of wrestling. This thing goes 15 minutes, and he was in a ton of it. And if you did not know that he wasn't a wrestler, you would have thought he was a wrestler. He did great. And obviously, Miz and Morrison are pros. They're perfect guys to have in this spot to help uh, move it along. But they all played their part so well. Um, you, You know, his punches looked good, the punches that he throws, the arm drag takedown, drop toe hold, the cradle, he got the head scissors there, um, and then obviously the bunny destroyer at the end, the cross body uh, into a pin, over 15 minutes, and this dude, he busted his butt, you could tell he worked, all of the wrestlers from all different companies were really giving him praise and credit. And normally, a lot of the older wrestlers and stuff are very bitter and jaded in situations like this. He did incredible. Big shout out to Bad Bunny. He's one of the things that we're going to remember most from this weekend. We're going to remember what happened next. And that's the thing that we'll see in a lot of uh, uh, video packages and replays through the years is this main event. But Bad Bunny is definitely one of the guys that stole the show over uh, throughout the weekend. These gals in the main event, the SmackDown's Women Championship match, they stole the show there, Bianca and Sasha. They went 17 minutes plus, and we had a new champion, Bianca Belair. This was great. It was emotional. They talked about how they were two black women in the main event of WrestleMania for the first time ever. Both of these women got emotional before the crowd was just so into this match. And as expected, these two uh, were pulling out all of the stops. They were trying things that you don't see for them from them all the time. They were using their athletic ability back and forth, back and forth. We had one incredible spot with Bianca hitting Sasha with the hair, and we got one of the loudest smack sounds that you'll ever hear. Bianca hits the kiss of death for the pinfall. Botch, a little botch from Michael Cole at the end because he, he thought Sasha kicked out, but there wasn't a kick out. He corrects himself. Bianca Belair, your new women's champion, just over 17 minutes. This thing was at least four stars. Very emotional. Great, great way to end the night. And you look at night one, what makes 
these pay-per-views really good. As something we do and we go through these old wrestling rewatches every week with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali is the shows that don't have a lot of bad. As and you know, some shows are great because they'll have a five star match or one of the best matches that you've ever seen, but then four or five matches on the show stink and it, and the whole show overall is not that great. Night one of WrestleMania was really good and it started with a very interesting 30 minutes or so with those raw promos. We got a good, good match from Lashley and McIntyre. I think the only thing on the show that was not really memorable was probably the tag team turmoil match with the with the women where they just got uh, a lot of them in and out. They were just really quick. Uh, then Cesaro Rollins. We're going to remember Cesaro's big win and how this was a really good sprint. AJ Omos, we saw Omos debut and they won the titles. Uh, Shane taking a couple big bumps in the cage against Braun. And then Bad Bunny looked great. And the women, Bianca and Sasha, like not really any downers other than that uh, tag team turmoil match, which just wasn't that, you know, it wasn't terrible. It just wasn't much. We moved to night two. And the start of night two was a lot different than the start of night one because I thought the two probably weakest things on the show for night two began the show and so you have Randy Orton and The Fiend to open things up we got the same video package um, which I thought you know maybe change things up if you're going to do two nights Uh, Titus O'Neil and Hogan came out they're dressed in like pirates Uh, again there were some boos for Hogan Um, we got the video package to set up Orton and The Fiend Orton came out and he had a new ring gear, a white tights, uh, looked red sort of on them. He looked really good and he was sort of walking really, really slow. So I think he was buying some time. They might have been worried again about the weather moving in in the area. So the Fiend was, uh, we saw the Fiend walking down a hallway and then we see Alexa Bliss skipping around uh, ringside. She's got a toy box, the like the Jack in the Box. And then there's a big box at ringside. And he, the fiend, end up ends up popping out of this box right next to the ring. All of this was really good. It was. It looked good. Fans were sort of into it. It was the beginning of the show. There was a high energy there. He had more of the regular fiend look and not that like charred mask he had recently. It took over twenty minutes though before we actually got this the the match to start, and then the bell rang. And this was just nothing. Like, how do you have a match between Randy Orton and The Fiend? They've had a feud for months where the guys, one guy's burned the other guy. There's been one crazy witch girl, like, bleeding with stuff from the eyes. There's been a, another, like, fab, like, I don't know, evil Randy Orton twin, fire bolts being shot all over. And yet we're going to end this with just a regular wrestling match? And, I, I mean... They're, they're using that red light again for The Fiend, which nobody really likes. This thing was just like five minutes of back and forth, like basic ring work. And it looked like The Fiend was going to win with Sister Abigail. And then the big, uh, the, the fi- fire goes off around the ring. And we see Alexa Bliss sitting on top of that big toy box. And she's got that black liquid like rolling out of her eyes. And The Fiend looks up at her. He's distracted. Orton hits the RKO and then he gets the win and he rolls out and he he runs down the aisle and then a few minutes later they disappear. I mean this thing was like six minutes and it was not good. 
It was not good. It was the the worst part of both nights of WrestleMania. And you can't start a show like that in a positive, right? You you look at the match card after this and you know it's going to get a little better, but the energy was sort of sucked out of the building and they did not like the way this ended. This just did not make a whole lot of sense and it makes us feel like we wasted months and hours of our time for this. At least if they would have had a fine, a fun, some some sort of way to end this, it would have felt at least like, okay, we were along for a ride and the end of the ride was good. This was not. We saw what Hogan and Titus backstage, uh, Bischoff, Bailey kind of gets involved again. She calls herself a, a co-host. And so we, you know, same sort of gimmick from the night before with Bailey trying to get involved. We then saw the women's tag championship. This match went like 14 minutes. It was actually the second longest of the match uh, matches on night two. And it was fine. It, you know, Probably a little better than you would have expected. I thought two and a half to maybe three star range. And actually, you know, pretty solid. The crowd was into Tamina towards the end of this. She got a pretty good response from them. But 14 minutes felt a little long for them. When, you know, when you're given Rollins and Seth, uh, Rollins and Cesaro the night before 11 and a half, and even KO and Sammy get under 10. So five minutes less in the match uh, following this. But Nia and Shayna get the win. And they retain their titles. So we got the video package for Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens with Logan Paul and all of Sami's uh, uh, conspiracy stuff. We got guest commentators kind of throughout the night. Jerry the King was for one, and uh, JBL was was for another. Booker for another. So Sami Zayn comes out, and he introduced Logan Paul. Booze for Logan Paul, who played a really good heel there. Uh, I thought. KO comes out, and these two guys who have wrestled together like hundreds to thousands of times, and they've had matches that have gone probably close to an hour. They've had short matches, tag matches, falls count anywhere, ladders, you name it. They had a really good 10-minute match or so. Didn't even get to 10, and it, it just was quick, nonstop. It's so cool that these two were able to have a WrestleMania match together. Uh, because it felt like, you know, a month or so leading in, neither one of these guys really had much on their plate. But you can always go back to them uh, together, go to the well there, give them the opportunity to go out and have like 15 minutes together. And they did a really great job here. This is one of the, the matches I think people are really positive coming out of the weekend. And this felt like the match that got the show on track. Had this opened the show, it would have just felt so much better because everything about this was fun. You got the babyface winning. Um, they got all their really good moves in. There were no down points to this match whatsoever. KO hits the stunner for the win. And you get Logan Paul, who at the end sort of comes over and he pushes Sammy down. And then he wants to raise KO's hand and act like he was, was part of it. And KO's all pissed off. So he hits a stunner on Logan Paul, who looked like he either like didn't sell it well he looked sort of like he, he was awkward but it was fun and the crowd loved it KO went over and said uh, hi to his family I thought this was really good and maybe we get a little elevation from KO you just wonder where because he was already in that picture with Roman next so um, we'll see what uh, what comes up next for him then we got uh, Riddle backstage. Riddle had his segment with, uh, as we all were expecting, with Rob Van Dam, where 
Riddle uh, talks to Rob. He gets excited. They're great colleagues with them because they were Hall of Famers. And RVD actually mentions his RVD rolling papers. So we get a little uh, little weed reference at WrestleMania. How about that? Then up next it was Riddle versus Sheamus. This middle part of night two where we got KO, Sammy, and then uh, Sheamus, Riddle. I thought this was a great, great back-to-back matches here. Neither one of them all that long. Sheamus, Riddle only go about 10.50, not even 11 minutes. They beat the crap out of each other. There was like one like sort of like a spot or two here like that was like a little botchy where they kind of slipped but they they rebounded really well they were both hard hitting and this was like a way for them to kind of give Sheamus a little something back for the good work that he's been doing for uh the last few months so Sheamus gets the win over Riddle great match from both of them i mean Riddle was just like Riddle Seth KO People that I like, really stood out to me too. Obviously, Bianca and Sasha were incredible. Bunny, like you're going through a lot of a lot of these guys and gals brought it over the weekend, and uh, Sheamus and Riddle definitely did. Your new United States champion, Sheamus, who hits the brogue when Riddle was hitting a moonsault. So it was like a sort of a brogue, kind of hit him in the chest, and uh, but it was like. Heart chest, he got him in the face too. He had like a bloody mouth uh, afterwards. Riddle, I think this was above three and a half stars, like in that range, three and a half to to above, and like three and a half to four, but probably a little below four. We got the setup for the Nigerian drum fight for the Intercontinental Champion Biggie Apollo Cruz, and this one only went se- like not even seven minutes. I thought it would go a little longer, but it was more about the debut, and although. This was a no DQ match. There weren't that many weapons used. We got the kendo sticks. Biggie grabbed a gong at one point. Um, but we didn't really get a whole ton of use of the drums. It was more about Daba Kato joining. So Daba Kato, who was a part of Raw Underground earlier in the year, looks like he's going to be aligned with Apollo. Apparently he does have um, some actual... Uh, I guess some actual Nigerian blood um, So We'll see uh, how they are going to Present him but The big man Daba Kato helps interfere When it looks like Biggie's about to get the win He hits a choke slam And Apollo is your new IC champion At just under 7 minutes it, You know it didn't Hit a level of being that type of match because it didn't go that long and that really wasn't what they were trying to do they were trying to uh you know debut this new big big crazy star in Dabakato so we then got the Hall of Fame uh, apparently he's going to be looking I mean he might have a new gimmick called Commander a Commodore Aziz something like that the 2021 Hall of Fame class was then shown. RVD, Molly Holly, Great Collie, Ozzy Osbourne, Eric Bischoff, uh, and Rich Herring, who won the Warrior Award. Then Kane. And again, um, we, uh, you know, we were getting throughout the night, we had Bailey doing her uh, her interruptions and, um, you know, trying to steal the show. We then got Rhea Ripley and Asuka. And I gotta say, these. Matt, these two matches that they had on on Sunday and then on Monday night, I was really excited and really expecting a lot from these two, and I, I think that may have been the issue. But 
I don't know how much chemistry they really have. Rhea ends up winning the the women's championship, the Raw Women's Championship. The match goes like 13 and a half minutes or so. And it was good. It was over three stars. Um, I just, it didn't hit what I expect from these two who I think are two of the top five to ten women on the planet as far as uh, their wrestling ability. So, I have high expectations for these two and they just didn't really hit it either night. Um, I, I much preferred the Bianca-Sasha match than either of the matches we got from Rhea, Asuka on Sunday or on Monday. So we got uh, Titus and Hogan on the stage. They thanked everybody again. And then here comes Bailey, And then Bailey asked about her pyro. There was a moment where it felt like it was going to be Becky Lynch coming out. But instead it was the Bellas who come out. And uh, they pose with Titus and Hogan. So, trying to get Bailey uh, as much uh, on the show as possible as we get set for the main event. Really cool moment uh, just at the beginning of this match because you got Daniel Bryan, you know, who had uh, the neck and, and concussion in, uh, issues and, and should have been done wrestling. You got Roman Reigns who had leukemia and you never know what was going to happen to him. And you've got Edge who made his return after years. So the fact that these three guys are in the main event of WrestleMania after what they've been through, pretty uh, pretty amazing. And we got a pretty amazing match that was, I think, four and a half stars at least. Just everything you would expect from these guys. We got Jey Uso getting involved early on, but then he was stretchered off the match early. So you just really had Edge, Daniel Bryan, and Roman for a lot of this until the end where Uso comes back. And there's uh, Edge setting up the concerto for both Roman and Daniel Bryan. He actually hits the concerto to Daniel Bryan and... Then Jey Uso jumps back in the mix. He stops Edge from hitting that on Roman. Roman hits a spear on Edge. And then uh, he actually, Roman, does the concerto to Edge. Chair shots to the head. That might have been one of the only things I didn't love. Just the, uh, you know, the getting back to the chair shots on the head stuff. But um, they seem like they were doing a pretty good job of like getting to the side and not hitting hard. And, um, you know, cutting the camera this thing was four and a half. The reason why I didn't put it even higher, and the only real gripe I had is that I would have liked it if Roman didn't need Uso at the end to help him again. But but you know what? That would have been fine if Roman was a babyface. He's not. He's a heel. So he does get the cheating help here. Um, to me, that makes it just a little less, but I, I have really no knocks with the way this show ended. And so when you look at night two, you got... A really good main event, a really good Sheamus Riddle match, and a really good KO Sammy match, and then a fine Apollo, fine Rhea Oscar. Nothing negative about either one of those two. And Nia, Shayna, Natty Tamina was probably a little better than expected. It was just a bad start with Orton. So I thought overall, there's probably what two like poor matches throughout the entire weekend, which you have to think is really good. So coming out of Sunday night, everybody's pretretty excited. We're all pumped up for the post uh, you know WrestleMania raw that everyone gets you know happy for. We're gonna get some new uh, you know exciting debuts. We're gonna get a couple cool matches. This was a bad, bad show, folks. We got Bobby Lashley showing up. At the beginning, uh, we have a new announcer, Adnan Verk. So it was Corey Graves, Adnan, and Byron Saxton. Uh, I thought Adnan did okay, but it's hard to judge in this first night. We'll have to wait a few weeks and, and, uh, and see what we think. 
Riddle approaches Lashley and he challenges Lashley tonight. And then Bobby Lashley just beats the crap out of Riddle for about 10 minutes, like all over the place. He throws him into the crowd. I mean, just grinding uh, him all over. Uh, This was just like a really big elongated squash. He puts the hurt lock on and he wins easily. And backstage, we got, I mean, okay, fine. Like, you make Lashley look dominant to start. I don't know if that was even needed. Um, we go backstage. We got a Rhea Ripley promo that a lot of people are saying, and it looks just like she was reading off a prompter. It just wasn't good. And then we get Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander versus the Viking Raiders. You know, the Viking Raiders are, are good. I think they'll add to the tag division. Happy to have them back. Ivar's healthy now. He's been injured for a while. So... But what you just break up Shelton and Cedric from from the hurt business, and now you got them losing immediately. Like we're not even going to see these guys on TV anymore, and they're at the very least a solid tag team in the division. There's no reason why they can't still be like a tag team that competes for the tag team titles, and and we see like with some solid TV matches. But we probably won't. We then go backstage with Oscar. She talks about her match later with Rhea. That's fine. Short. Nothing really. One of the things I did like, Charlotte Flair. And she comes out and she cut, I thought, a great promo. She said she wasn't at WrestleMania. And uh, she said she, you know, it wasn't her fault that Asuka needed a tag partner. Wasn't her fault her dad showed up to Legends Night acting like a fool. Wasn't her fault that Lacey got pregnant and she couldn't kick her ass in the ring. She said none of that was her fault. She even challenged Asuka in the ring and Asuka didn't respond. And Flair said that Rhea Ripley challenged Asuka and that Ripley won the women's title. A star was born out with the old and with the new. And uh, she said Ripley is the biggest snake in the locker room. She said Asuka's getting a rematch tonight. And Flair said... Charlotte says, Karma is a bitch, and I'm that bitch. And then she goes down and lists all the women. She said, no one compares to her. She said, she doesn't steal opportunity, she is the opportunity. And uh, we will all bow down to the 13-time women's champion. She looked really good. She sounded really good. I'm excited for Charlotte to get back in the mix with Rhea and Asuka here. As we got the Raw Women's Title match, Oscar versus Rhea, we got a re uh, a rematch from the night before, and again this thing was really clunky. There was a part in the match, like a few minutes in, where they messed up a spot and they just could not get back on track. And I don't know if it's a chemistry thing lacking with these two. I just expected a lot more from them, and the two times we saw them in the ring on Sunday and Monday, I I, I didn't think all that much of it. And then Charlotte comes from behind, interrupts the match. She throws them both into the the ring post, and the ref calls it. It's a no contest here. So it looks like we're heading to a triple threat, uh, you'd imagine, with Charlotte getting in the mix with Rhea and Asuka. Miz and Morrison were backstage with Maurice. Maurice is out there tonight for Miz TV. They're going to be promoting the uh, return of uh, Miz's TV show. Backstage, Nia and Shayna were watching Mandy slip. Mandy interrupts them, and then uh, she smacks Nia, and slaps her out of nowhere, and they knock uh, Nia down. Nia's not too happy about that. We then got Alexa Bliss backstage. Like, I mean, like, none of this stuff. The Charlotte was, was good. Like, everything else that I've discussed has not been good. Lashley stuff at the beginning is fine. Um, but it just didn't feel like a, a Raw after WrestleMania Raw. Alexa Bliss playground stuff, she's on the swing 
people are wondering why she did what she did. She says that the one the, she unlocks something, and then we we see a like a weird looking puppet named Lily, and she says their fun is just getting started. So I don't know. At least it seems like later on when we hear that the fiend is done with this, and maybe it's back to Bray Wyatt. Miz and Maurice, Miz TV, were out uh, all together, and they were just kind of plugging the return of Miz and Mrs. They uh, talked about Bad Bunny, and they said it was only impressive because of uh, you know Miz taking credit for everything. And then Damian Priest comes out, and we get a Damian Priest two-on-one match, him, him versus The Miz and Morrison. And okay, two-on-one, right? So Damian Priest ends up losing here, but... I don't I, I I just don't think this was necessary. Like it sets up a match worth probably Damian Priest and the Miz at the next pay per view where Priest will get his win back. But ah you know, Maurice helped distract and Miz cheats for the win. I just don't like Priest losing like this kind of early on. They don't take their losses seriously enough and he just you know, he hasn't lost yet. We haven't seen him losing and this should he shouldn't be losing this way. So, uh, you know, Miz ends up like in his underwear at the end and this just not needed. Then we get Nia and Shayna backstage. They're upset um and their match is coming up next with Mandy and Dana. Uh, this was bizarre. So, towards the end of this match, Nia slips and falls and Mandy looks and laughs. Nia's mad. So Nia starts to kind of go after Mandy, but Mandy just leaves. They just get counted out, and Dana's like, yeah, no, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. We've got baby faces just walking out after Nia slips and falls, and they're laughing like they're doing a slip and fall angle because of Mandy slipping and falling the night before. Like, what is this? This is on the night after Mania Raw. So Nia and Shayna win by countout? What? Next, it's MVP. He says uh, he's going to make an official announcement about the Hurt Business. He says, you know, he starts to talk and he's interrupted by Drew. Um, Drew said he's man enough to admit he made a mistake. He allowed MVP to distract him. And uh, once the Hurt Lock is in, there's nothing you can do about it. But he wants another shot. Then Braun interrupts. Braun thinks he's coming off of his win, so he thinks he deserves a shot. Then Randy Orton interrupts. He's coming off of his win. He thinks he deserves a shot. What I loved about this is Randy says, The Fiend and Alexa are no more. They're finished, which means no more mind games. So hopefully he's out of that picture. And Adam Pearce comes out. Um, He decides that they're going to have a triple threat match. Drew versus Braun versus Orton. And the winner is going to face Lashley at what they're calling WrestleMania Backlash. Not even Backlash anymore. It's just called it's called WrestleMania Backlash on May the 16th. So Drew and Braun have a little interaction backstage. Um, and then we get this totally unnecessary New Day versus Elias and Jackson Riker match that's like 10 minutes. And it, it's like fine quality. And the New Day get their win. It just... We needed this on this show? 
Uh, Randy cuts a backstage promo. He, you know, it's like nothing really. He said he has to strike once. Talks about the RKO. We then got the return of the Firefly Funhouse. So I'm, you know, these weird segments are weird, but they're better than the Fiend stuff. And at least that hope, in my hope, that that's gone. So he says uh, he's laughing. He's in the Firefly Funhouse. He says he feels great. This could be a new start for everyone, a new season, new friends, a new Wyatt. He feels reborn, and he uh, he's right. He says he will return. But he says the Funhouse will be big, bad, and strong. And he says goodbye. We get the main event match, uh, the number one contender match. It's a triple threat, Drew, Randy, and Braun. And this was fine. You know, this is a good, like one of the few good things on the show. What I like about this is that it made sense, right? Drew didn't tap out. He still feels like he's in the mix for a, a title shot. And then we have two guys that won their WrestleMania match asking for a title shot. This all made a lot of sense here. And Drew gets the win. Claymore kick covers Randy Orton, new number one contender. But then after the match, we get Retribution members, Mace and T-Bar, coming out. They're like standing together with MVP. Are they just hired like hitmen? Are they going to be part of the Hurt Business now? Please don't tell me they're going to be part of the Hurt Business now and we got rid of Cedric and Shelton who were so great in the, in that role. I don't know. It's it's just unfortunate because this is just what we get a lot from, from WWE. You get a really good show or two, and then just you get a bad week or two. And you just get, we got great night one of Mania. Really good end of night two of Mania, and a lot of good stuff throughout that show. And then just such a poor, poor Monday Night Raw after that leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And we'll hope that... With NXT now coming up on Tuesday, and then you know AEW will uh, we'll talk about on Wednesday, and Friday Night SmackDown hopefully will be a little bit better. We will talk more about wrestling later in the week with Chad Cooper on this week in wrestling. Big thank you to TK Tim Kelly for joining us this week to talk uh, about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Hope you did, you enjoyed as we uh, bounced all around. We got a little golf talking. We got some baseball. In we got Wednesday and Thursday racing Falcon and Winter Soldier and a ton of wrestling talk. Best of luck uh, all week long in your wagers, and uh, we'll talk to you in just a few days. We'll get you all set up for the weekend with another episode of That's What G Said. Joey, close it out, buddy.